Wrestling blue and so did the weather in Louisville. It's the storm after the calm edition of the Jim Cornette experience. And joining me to talk about all these things and so much more, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the earth to my wind and fire. The great Brian Last, everybody. You're talking about your breath? Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. We have another fine show packed with so much stuff, I don't even know where our week begins and where it ends at this point. Yeah, talking about my breath, you blow hard. Wind and fire. Yeah, you blow hard. It blew hard around here. If wrestling was as exciting as the weather has been lately, we'd have something. Mother Nature had me shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds yesterday. I've told you some about that. I told you it was coming and I've told you a bit about what happened here, but this is again. Again, we locusts and frogs are coming. I've lived in this in this city for most of my sixty years. I was away for about what about eighteen or so. I've never seen shit like this in my life. And you're not fucking gonna. Oh, it's just it. It's just freak weather. Freak weather happens all the time, not constantly on top of one another over and over again. Because the, the um, I don't even remember what day it is now, but three days ago, oh, March the 1st, as a matter of fact, <laughs> it was 82 fucking degrees in Louisville, Kentucky. No, 83. I tell a lie. It was 83. Made it to 83. That's not only the, it smashed the record for the hottest March the 1st ever, but it's the hottest or this earlier in the year that it's ever been, whatever the fuck. And I've talked to you about the pattern we've had going on where it'll rain and thunderstorm and rain inches and we've had, and then it'll be cold and snow flurry, but never actually stick. And then it'll be 70 degrees again. We're four inches for the year, the year so far, which has been eight weeks, four inches ahead of the rain we're supposed to have. We've had 13 or 14 high wind warnings is since I think October, which used to be a rare thing that you would get. And it's the warmest, uh, I believe February on record and definitely in people's memory. So then. Like I said, it was 82 degrees the other day, 83 degrees. And then they call for, well, and now it's going to storm again. And it's been doing this. But then, I don't know, 36 to 48 hours before Friday comes, they start really selling this fucking storm. Friday's going to be bad. And it goes from 80 to 90 to 100% chance of storms, severe storms, 
the promos start by all the weathermen. And so naturally, you know, I'm fucking bullshit about this type of thing because they even said if it was summertime or if it was like 80 something degrees and it was more humid, the dew points, this would rival a system that we had on April 3rd, 1974, which to this day, I cannot say that date without getting goosebumps all over my whole body. Long-time listeners of the program know the scaredest I was ever as a child was Tornado Day in 74, right? And back then, you didn't, because now they've got the goddamn weather, the radar, and the they're showing you what the meteorologist couldn't even see because they didn't have it invented back then, 50 years ago, right? Now they're showing it to you on TV in your living room, and you can see that well, the goddamn severe thunderstorm of the tornado over here from 20 miles away, you won't even see a leaf rattling. But me and my, when I was 12 years old, it was me and my mom in the basement in the crawl space with a transistor radio because we'd already lost power and the thunderstorms are booming all around us and we hear on the radio, well, we have a telephone report that the city of Brandenburg, Kentucky appears to have ceased to exist. And it's like, fuck! So now you can see where all this shit is, and you know it's coming, right? But how they're close forecasting is that? it. How close, huh? is, how close is Brandenburg to you? Oh, Brandenburg is is down. It's not a suburb of Louisville, but it's not far to the southwest of Louisville. And but I mean that day, this was April third. Not to get into weather history, but was all over the southeastern United States was the I think third largest in recorded history outbreak of tornadoes. Xenia, Ohio got wiped off the map. I mean, it was just, I forget how many hundred people were killed. So that was a big deal all over the place, but especially here in, you know, because that's where I was, was here. So I was worried about that. But anyway, but now you can watch this shit. So I'm already watching the news and I'm sweating on this 36 hours ahead of time. And I've got a six stomach and they're showing the, the, the way this progresses, the low across that, they used to have Velcro fucking L's and H's that they would stick on a map of the United States to show where the low and high was, right? Now we're seeing what the weather balloon sees on TV. So I spent a day monitoring this weather, and the morning of, the governor calls a state of emergency ahead of time. Schools are closed the night before. Uh, in anticipation of all this, and they uh, again, they said if it was summer, if the leaves were on the trees, and this is true, what I tell you, if the leaves had been on the trees, this place would be a disaster area. Um, but the governor says, be off the roads by noon. And the weather forecasters are prefacing the forecast with, now I wish I was wrong. How the shit? So I've got the, the, the weather service has even raised the bar of where they're they're not going to call a severe thunderstorm for just 60 mile an hour winds because you should expect that so we're gonna it's only going to be if it gets to 70 and then we end up having starting late morning severe thunderstorm flash flood tornado and some other kind of fucking warning because overnight it already rains the regular rain and the storms. Okay, it rains two inches. So we're already flooding by the time Friday morning gets here. And you should have seen my neighbor's pond in the back. And holy mackerel, there's water everywhere. 
And they're saying this is going to be the strongest low-pressure system ever recorded in the Ohio Valley in recorded history. So anyway, about noon comes and I'm looking at the map. And as I'm watching this actual legitimate line of, of thunderstorms and with the possibility of tornadoes in it moving up, and it's getting closer. And they're giving the reports that there's wind gusts up to 70-something miles an hour, just like 60 miles away. And it's coming from the south, too, the southwest. And holy shit, the wind now in Elizabethtown, which is 40 fucking five miles to drive from here. So they're not even straight. The wind gusts in Elizabethtown are up to like 40-something miles an hour. I'm looking out in the front yard, besides the fact it has rained like pouring piss out of a boot. The wind isn't even blowing, and we don't have a storm going on. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, it's going to be here sooner or later. And as I watch this weather radar and et cetera, Brad, the line that was solid over in the western part of the state, Paducah and that area, and caused tornado warnings, all this damage over in Evansville, Posey County. The line that has moved through has broken up into a, a, a line with breaks in it. And some way or another, there was shit to the south of us. There was shit to the east of us. There was shit in downtown Louisville. They had the 70-mile-an-hour thunderstorm come through because the storms are moving at like 70 miles an hour. And all we got was the, the edges of rain here. It poured rain again at the castle, right? I watched the radar as somehow or another, like threading a needle, these things broke up and missed my particular area and i thought holy shit and then all the storms are moving off to the east i said we've made it well this wasn't anything at all and then the wind started blowing because now they said well after the thunderstorms go through because of the low pressure it's dragging all that air the wind out of the south we're going to have wind for the rest of the day and i thought okay wind without the severe thunderstorms without the tornadoes you know, the wind's been blowing for goddamn three months around here. No, it hasn't. Brian, have you ever seen, have you ever just been standing out in a public place where it wasn't raining, the sun was even out, and the wind was blowing up to 75 miles an hour? I have not, no. Don't do that thing. Because it's fucking nerve-wracking. All of a sudden, these winds came through, and it, it wasn't constant. It, they were gusts, but you would it would get to the point where you're watching these trees bend, and you're watching fucking, you're just hearing it, and you're hearing it when you're inside the house. You're hearing it on the outside of the house, and you're thinking about, fucking five more miles an hour and it looks like things are going to start taking up and fucking leaving right and then stace is while i'm still trying to watch the weather stace yells come here the chairs and just i run out in the backyard the only thing we had in the backyard was i these were all piled up over underneath the tree was these not lawn chairs like the fold out little strap things but actual solid plastic just Yard chairs that we move around and sit in, but they were all up under a tree in a bunch, and they've never gone here. They're rolling up the fucking hill. 
And my neighbor in the back, stunning Steve Bradshaw, had been watching some of his shit blow out of the way, and he saw that and was running to help me corral those. And then, you know, we're ju- you just have to sit there and watch because it's like nerve-wracking because it gets to the point where you think, well, something's going to fucking happen here. Uh, it's hard to explain. It's it's so loud. They had semi-trucks on the interstate blew over sideways just from the wind. And, of course, then later on we get the news reports of the trees down and the power line, 100,000 people in the metro area without power and all the shit that got blown sideways. But by about 7 o'clock, and the winds are supposed to die down about 9, by 7 o'clock, Everything on this property is still bolted down. It's supposed to be anywhere, and nothing has been disturbed, right? And I'm thinking, we're going to get by with this. And then I'm in the kitchen, and I hear, crack! (laughs) Shit! And it comes from the direction of the the corner of the house, my beloved old hundred-and-something-year-old maple tree that is a miracle of nature and grows in odd directions. Makes me nervous every I'm like, oh, shit. And I go out there and no, it, have you ever also, have you ever heard of a, a tree actually blow over from, I'm not talking about being cut and then they push it the rest of the way over. I'm talking about when it blows over from scratch and cracks, it sounds like a fucking thunderclap. Yes, I actually am familiar with it. Okay, well, you can, so this tree was 200 feet away from where I was and I was in the house with TV on in the next room and I still heard it. And I run to that end of the house, look out the window, and there, in my neighbor's front, well, it, it originally it was in my neighbor's front yard, there's like a 70-foot pine tree. And I'm not talking like a Christmas tree where it's a big, round, you know, fluffy thing. I'm talking about one of those pine trees that goes way up and it has the limbs that come off. It's a giant thing, right? Straight over sideways in that wind. 70 feet fucking tall. And guess where it ended up, Brian? Where? On my fucking fence. (laughs) The other one. Not the one one with the Mustang, the one on the other side. And it came down. There, (laughs) my two maple trees there, one of them I was, there's two side by side, right on that side of the, the house. And the one next to it doesn't have any limbs on one side of it because there used to be another maple tree on the other side of that blocked all the light off. And that at about 15, it was in the, I think the 2009 hurricane winds we had, that one turned over in my neighbor's yard. So, well, she returned the favor, but it fell right beside that maple. It missed it by inches because there was no limbs that it could take out on that side. And on top of the fence and the creek stone, et cetera, around my maple and stuff. So, and I've tried to call Corky the lumberjack, but the whole town's in chaos and it could be sitting there for weeks. But we all missed it by that much. Everything else remained undisturbed except for a giant 75-foot pine tree that was deposited on my fucking fence. We all have privacy. Are you questioning the value of a fence? Um, well, it, it, 
Because you can't win. Because you can't win. Well, no, this is, but this is not a privacy fence. This is just, it's an old, it's a wire. It's not old. It's only like, well, I guess it is old now. Depends on your fucking point of view. I put it up about 15 years ago. Well, if the tree's 100 years old, obviously. (laughs) Well, no, if it replaced the one that was there before, but it's just, it's a wire farm fence. It's not my decorative front fence. It's a wire farm fence on the side. You have to have a fence around here with these properties to determine where one ends and one begins because it's not obvious as you get back in the back and you get disoriented. So I need some boundary marker there, but we're not like doing a private, it's not to keep people, you know, you could climb this fence, but poor old Sherry next door, she, her fence climbing days are behind her. Hank every once in a while runs through the part that I've cut in the back where the, uh, the, so the deer can wander back and forth when they're too young to jump it. None of your neighbors ever complain about the fact that you're so welcoming to the deer. No, she loves them too. We don't like people around here that don't like the deer. They shit everywhere. Well, there's plenty of room back there for them to shit. They don't come up here and knock on the door and ask to use the goddamn bar and the bathroom in the bar so they can shit in my backyard wherever they want. How am I going to? I'd have to go back there and find it to jump in it. All right. You what would do your deer come in and. I have and kids who want to play in the backyard. The, uh, they can't well, hear shit everywhere. How much backyard? What are they doing? War games? How much backyard they need to play in? I've got two football fields back there. I can fucking give some to the deer to take a shit so they don't want to come up here and fuck with me. Is that deal working out where you give them one of your fields for shit and then they leave you alone in the other field? Well, actually, they they have... Actually, I haven't seen... Since the spring, because of the freakish weather and et cetera that we've had, I haven't seen my family, my dear family, as much. I see tracks every once in a while. I'm hoping they're coming back this spring. But they 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 don't bother us. We don't bother them. The first few years, they started scratching on my, my new trees by the driveway I put in. And I had to get the spray, the deer off and spray those to give them the idea. And then I put the food back under the poplar tree where they can drink from the stream. And then they stay back there in their area. But they like to come up and sun along the side of the house, outside the bedroom window, in between me and the, and the neighbor's yard. And, and we like to watch them. So when they, they come up there, they're not bothering anybody. Harley gets along with them. What are you trying to stir up? You don't worry about disease or ticks or anything? Well, if you're going to go out and roll around in the yard, then you need to check yourself before you come in. Your crotch, the back of your knees, your armpits, your fucking uh, scalp area. But if you're a country boy, you know that already. How close do you get to the deer? I don't don't try to get close to them because I don't want to get my human scent on them so they will be ostracized and shunned by the rest. I admire (laughs) them from afar. Shunned by who exactly? The deer Every, community? The other deer community. The okay. deer community sticks together, I'll have you know. But no, okay, a few of the little ones I've, I've gotten up because they're more trusting. And I like to get up close enough to, well, when we had one here by the garage door, they left them here. So we had to get close to that. We had no choice. But But yeah, they don't want you to sneak up on them too close. All right, all right. This, this has been weather right. in nature. This well, week I'm, we started talking about the goddamn the 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 power and majesty 
of of the environment and nature here, and suddenly you took this opportunity to slur the deer. They're easier. I'll tell you what. Not one of these deer has ever deposited a tree or a car on my fence. I didn't slur the deer. I asked questions. That's it. Well, you came at it from a direction of, well, they shit everywhere. Well, so do we. Not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. Not in my front yard. NIMBY. (laughs) NIMBY, not in my backyard. Well, we, we, we... (laughs) <laughs> figuratively if not literally we have shit in the deer's backyard because we have ruined the wilderness that this country used to be full of where the wonders of nature and the animals and the environment and the polo ponies could roam free and now it's a what about the buffalo paradise. what about huh? the buff- what about the buffalo or the buffalo them big the things with the hump on their backs they could roam around free and now we pay paradise to put up a parking lot it's a bunch of us Cretinous humanoids and our fucking, you know, chemical belching and emitting fucking machinery that has ruined their paradise that they had until we came along. And nobody shot them either. Well, maybe the the Indians, but the, at least a bow and arrow is a whole lot easier to get away from. It's more sporting. So, see, it's human. I'm surprised the deer don't rise up now that I say this. Fuck. Well, good luck with that. Speaking of rising up, uh, let's follow through on a few topics that we've talked about here recently on the program. And I can't believe you didn't see this. Is another thing that the city of Louisville, besides crummy weather, went viral, as the kids say, for this past week. And you did not see how the city of Louisville made the news around the Apparently, from what I saw, not only the country, but the world, a lot of people, a lot of people tweeting about it. You didn't see this? I did not. All right, I've talked to you about... Let let me talk to you, yeah? I've talked to you about how shitty our basketball team is here in this fucking town. The University of Louisville Cardinals, about how this is the worst team we've ever had. All the scandals, the recruiting violations, problems with the NCAA, the revolving door coaches, the sex scandals. The hookers and the gypsies, tramps and thieves and whatever the fuck else, right? So, and by the way, the record of the University University of Louisville Cardinals 10 years ago, the national champions. Guess what the record right now stands at and will forevermore, Brian? Never mind, you don't need to guess, I'll tell you. 4 and 26. I just saw a video of a dog taking a shit. During halftime, on- well, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Now you're you're several days behind the news here. So they come out at this another losing effort, and they're going to, as a halftime show, have I don't know what the dog's name was, Crypto, <laughs> the incredible fucking frisbee catching dog or something, to entertain the little kitties in the audience. I don't know what the I mean, this is this is where we're at now. Ten years ago, national champions, and now the halftime entertainment is a frisbee-catching fucking dog. So already, how the mighty have fallen. And the dog runs out on the court, and everybody's waiting. And before the fucking any, I don't know if they were even into it. The dog just squats down and takes a big shit right on the fucking University of Louisville basketball court in front of how many people were. Still interested enough to come out. 
and got a bit and the trainer tries to run over and catch it because he sees what it's going to do and he picks it up and the dog is still shitting and the dog could, and the dog shits another turd that the trainer as he's walking steps in on the way off the fucking I was fascinated by the crowd reaction because you never get to hear that many people react to that and as soon as he like put his legs in that set position, you'd heard like, oh, they knew it was coming. And then the guy that goes to get it, but it's a second pop when you see the shit fall out. <laughs> because everybody in the building, this is perfect. This is the perfect fucking analogy to the, or exclamation point on the season of this once proud program. Hey. Here's the dog taking a shit on the court. That's what we all wanted to do. They should put that on the cover of the media guide next year. And meanwhile, by the way, I'll have you know, this past week was also, I think it was Thursday, it might have been, was Denny Crumb's 86th birthday. Happy birthday to Denny Crumb on behalf of all of the real University of Louisville Cardinal basketball fans. 30 years as as a coach, head coach, I think, what was the win percentage? 700. And every year they have a birthday party for him, for Coach Crumb, over at Roosters, down here in, I think it's the one in St. Matthews. And a bunch of the media people come and they put it on television because everybody in the city of Louisville loves Denny Crumb, right? And they put the clips on the, you know, the news that night and a bunch of people are there to celebrate and they sell his, he's got a special potato soup that they sell for charity for um, scholarships at the university of Louisville and everything. And this year he wasn't able to be there. I guess he's not doing well and he's bedridden at home, but they still, even though the guy that they were having the birthday party for couldn't be there, they still had the birthday party and covered it on the news and wished him well. And meanwhile, the last University of Louisville Cup, well, not the last one, two or three ago, was run out of town on a rail. So, fuck him, I never liked him anyway. Happy birthday, Denny Crumb. Anyway, we got some some communications from the cult of coordinate, and I have no order of events for these emails, because I've been trying to call this morning, I was trying to call Corky the Lumberjack, and that's been a fruitless task. Because I'm sure he's out taking trees off people's houses, but we, you know, we we need we need fence people, we need the tree people. We a lot of people are going to be called into action on this, and the neighbor was most upset because that was her. And remember last time it was my favorite evergreen. Now it's her favorite evergreen. So I have no order to these emails. We'll do the best we can. Hopefully they'll. Make you uh, cheerful and happy more than I am at this point. Right, Brian's going to be cheerful and happy. Let's see how this goes. All right. Well, Ryan from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, writes in, uh, Jim and Brian, I've been listening to you for a while now, often when I'm running or at the gym. But recently, my 10-year-old cat, Reggie, was diagnosed with lymphoma. <laughs> Why are you laughing about that? I can't do it. I was going to try to not break up on, on Reggie the cat with lymphoma. Why is that funny to you? 
Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we all have weird senses of humor in one way or another. No, we can't do that to poor Reggie, can we? We got poor Reggie. Like Reggie's gonna listen. I thought I could get by with that transition. I look down. Well, should we air this? <laughs> now you see why Casey Kasem didn't want to do the dead dog dedication. <sighs> should I start again? You can. Yes. I'll just to see what. <laughs> Let's talk about this serious story. Now I'll be able to take it serious. Now that you've lost it about <laughs> Reggie, the cat with lymphoma. I'm sure I'll be able to keep oh it together golly. during this. Well, Ryan, we're sorry to hear about Reggie. We're all broken up. We're broken up. <laughs> see? He says this past week has been the hardest week of his life. Stop laughing. See, that's not part of the funny part. <laughs> but he found that for a brief moment he was able to ease the pain by listening to the drive-thru. <laughs> I'm glad we could be there for you. You too, Reggie. Uh, uh, so if, we, <laughs> if we do decide to... You said right, I'm sorry. <laughs> it just stuck me the wrong way. Uh. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Reggie. I think I'm making my nose bleed. I can't believe I can't believe this got you uh <laughs> the way it has. I was looking at the email printed out, son of a bitch. Well, uh, once again, we send our very best wishes to Reggie. Stop doing the show. I can't. <laughs> All right. I've taken a second here because I don't know what of what we just did that people may or may not hear. Maybe if Brian last hates me, we'll hear all of it. But I struck myself wrong with that transition. I couldn't get in. You know, it was Casey Kasem. But here's an interesting thing from my old friend, George Moranville out in Lexington. Ah, George. Do you, you ever know George? Yeah, of course. I know who George is. Daddy said sell. Not that one. It's another one. Um, But he sent along one of the links about, uh, he just emailed me. Uh, this was just uh, several days ago. He, he, he sent the attachment of the policeman is your friend that Leaping Lanny did the record that we talked about. Because that was done, I think, while Lanny was over in Lexington. And a link on, you know, what we were talking about that, you know, Vince wanting $9 billion for the WWE. And he brought up that he bought WCW for between two and four, depending on what people say, a million dollars. And he wants $9 billion for the WWE. That's interesting. But he also made mention of, remember we talked about, you didn't know that Jared had actually run Lexington, Kentucky at some points before the Rep Arena days. Right, yeah. And the reason we mentioned that it wasn't a steady, it wasn't an uninterrupted run was because they they couldn't get the TV there consistently. But in the early days, I th they had had a show, uh, a TV on for like the early 70s and had done well at the... Uh, Lexington Catholic High School gym, and then later on ICW had run, I think, at Henry Clay High School gym. But anyway, George says, appreciated the discussion about ICW and especially Jarrett running shows at Lexington Catholic High School. I'm trying to figure out what year that would have been that I begged my mom to take me to a show there. She gave in, but would never do it again as there was a riot and the heels had to fight their way back to the locker room and it terrified my mother. 
I feel like I was nine or ten years old, but that would have it uh that would have put it in nineteen seventy two or nineteen seventy three and that's about seventy two ish is about that time period. He said, I was terrified as well. Don't remember the card other than Tojo was on it and everyone was scared of him. <laughs> that's a Tojo had an aura in those days. But yeah, a Catholic high school gym, they have a riot and the mother is scared to take the kid back. But maybe that also, uh, Rep Arena was, uh, had a little more room to get in and out of there. Hey, just for timeline, cause I'm trying to, as we're talking about this, so ICW was running Lexington before Jarrett got into Rupp Arena, correct? No, no. No? No. Uh, eh. See, uh, you're all over the place, Jerry. You're just all over the place. No. Because I was thinking about the story about the heat with Lance Russell, where Randy Savage was, like, climbing the fence trying to – I don't know if he was really going to get to Lance Russell, but trying to get to Lance Russell and yelling at him. Yes. Because of the TV. Well, but – well, no, see, the T. It, what did you hear? Was it a TV taping? No, no, no. I I oh. thought it was. I thought part of it was because they were in Lexington and just that alone. But a part of it may have been about the TV situation, which is one of the reasons why Lance was there to begin with, right? Well, he had the relationship yes, but, with the television but no, station. But here, here's the thing. Jarrett was running Lexington before the Poffos, but the Poffos were based in Lexington, so therefore they it was easier for them to come to Rupp Arena and fuck with Jarrett's guys because instead of having to go to them. But no, what happened was the Poffos started running in spring of 1979 when they came back from, they had just previously just worked for, oh, uh, who, who in uh, Nova Scotia? Help me. Was it Emile Dupree or was it the other office? I always get the two confused. Zinc, whatever the case. Anyway. I think it was Dupree. Um, point is they, they moved down here and they started working with, uh, the guys that split off from Fuller in Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, Orton, Rupe Malenko in Knoxville, but also they started doing their own ICW TV tapings. So this was, April, May, June, 79-ish. Jarrett started in Rupp Arena in, I'm going to say off top of my head without looking at my notes, in either May or June of 1978. And the, But you oh. are correct on the story that the way they got television there, because the, they had been running, they hadn't run Lexington for a live event since I'd really gotten involved in the matches in Louisville and knew enough to that Miss Jarrett would have told me that you know, that they were doing that. So it had been three or four years at least, probably back to 74, maybe early 75. And so they got Lance as the program director, uh, a previous program director of WHBQ in Memphis and currently host of the most popular program on WMC TV Channel 5 in Memphis, which was an NBC affiliate. To, then knew the guy that had worked or the, the guy that was currently the program director or station manager, one or the other at WLEX 18, which was an NBC affiliate in Lexington. And so he made the connection and sold him on the show. So for that, Lance got some percentage of uh, the, the town as well as, which he obviously capitalized on and they gave him the opportunity to run spot shows 
off of that TV also for himself, and he ran Mount Sterling, Kentucky, uh, as the actual promoter uh, one time, and and we went out there and did he did well, but it was too far. It, Lance was already busy enough with the show on Saturdays and the Coliseum on Mondays, and the fact that he was already in his sixties and didn't need to be driving almost 500 miles to run spot shows in Eastern Kentucky. So that part of it never really materialized for him. But that's, but that's, a, but that's but, a year after he leaves the TV station to go full-time to work for Jarrett. So this is a pretty big right. thing. A year later, he brings in a major town. Yeah. And that would go on to be per capita per show Jarrett's biggest grossing town because yes, it only ran monthly, but when it was hot, it did houses bigger than gates, bigger than Memphis, because the ticket prices and the way the building was set up, and definitely bigger than Louisville because of the houses in Lexington that were the biggest ones when they do seven or eight thousand people wouldn't have gone in the Louisville Gardens, and Lexington, at the same time, was a third of the size of Louisville population-wise. Did Lance do the ring announcing at all the Lexington shows? Almost all of them. There were a few times he couldn't make the trip. I don't if, if sick, vacation, whatever the case. But almost the whole time I was there until I got into business and, and left the territory, that he would be the ring announcer. And that's another thing that made it look like a big event. You know, with the, well, there's Lance himself. And Lance one night is walking to the car and there's Randy Savage screaming at him from the side. And that's, you know, that's why, at least uh, because of that, they let the guys start parking inside the rep arena. They'd open up the garage doors, let the guy park, guys park inside instead of having to park in the lot. When all these ICW guys are yelling at the Memphis wrestlers, of course, the famous incident where Dundee gets jumped. You know, I could see Randy Savage and Pez Watley and Ron Gar. I could see like, various people getting mad and yelling, Randy Savage especially, all wired up like he was. What about Lanny? Did he yell at anyone? Hey, over there. Like, I can't see him. <laughs> Lance Russell, you piece of crap. Like, I can't see him doing it. No, I don't. Is honestly, he capable it, vocally of yelling he, at someone? Oh, come on now. He had a great voice. Um, no, I, you know, I mean, he may have been on television participating in some of the promos where they would mention the other guys or call the other guys out or whatever. I don't remember him doing it or participating in it. And Lanny wouldn't. The kind of guy was going to go hang out in the parking lot and yell at people, you know, and and so it was, yes, it was definitely the more over the top personalities, you know, that were that were doing that. And the thing with Dundee also was not at the matches, right? It was they at the gym. Just, it was at the yeah, gym. it was at the gym and in, in you know Gallatin or, or Hendersonville, maybe on Gallatin Road or whatever. But it, it uh, who worked behind the counter at the gym? Wasn't that? Uh, that was Candy Divine, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. President of the Lanny Pafu fan club. Who may have also been the the Eagle Scout that spotted Dundee there to begin with and alerted the troops. We never know about these things. We could put together all the phone calls that happened. The first one's Candy Divine calling <laughs> someone saying, you guys aren't going to believe this. I know you're leaving that show you did in Memphis last night with Thunderbolt, but Bill Dundee's here. He's even wearing his Macho Man trunks. Come get him. The next call is to Saul Weingroff. How do we get out of this county as fast as we can? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, can we move on with the emails? We have still Cult of Cornet Cult of Cornet members, the people that need to be recognized. Ever we did such a good job with 
Poor fellow with Reggie, the cat. Reggie the Reggie the cat. All right. Nevertheless, um, hello, Jim. The heading of this was your youngest fan. Hello, Jim. My name is Rusty, and I've followed your work since the late 80s. Just then I was wondering how the hell is this guy my uh, But then he goes on. I have a son that will be celebrating his birthday on March the 1st. We listen to both of your shows together every week, and he is quickly becoming a very big fan of yours, and I know he'd love it if you'd shout him out on a podcast. His name is Ian, and he'll be turning 10 years old. Happy birthday, Ian, on uh, March the 1st, which we missed, but better late than never. That's right. Happy birthday. 10, a big year. Well, boy, that's that's a really a great piece of advice to give the young man. Whatever, give him give him some advice on what stock to buy, or or some profound profundity from your years of experience as an adult that a small, impressionable young okay, man okay. would like to hear. Son of Rusty, a penny saved is a penny earned. There you go. That's that's something even Mama Cornette would have said that. Did she say that, or would she have said that? She well, she probably already assumed everybody knew it because it had been said before. That's why she ah. jumped into take care of that. It may be worth something. Uh, really, also, a quick request from Tony from Clyde Bank, Scotland. So, Tony, that means you know who you are. Uh, I won't read the whole email, but basically, they have a group over there, a group of friends that have met on a a mutual agreement of our entertainment right they love us and they love wrestling and etc they bonded over a love of wrestling on a wrestling forum back in the day and they like our shows and now they have had the 20th anniversary or they are having the the organizing the 20th anniversary of their little group doug anthony tony and even george uh what 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 is this little group it's a group of friends that met and bonded on a wrestling board over wrestling and now like our shows and listen to us. And and his name is Tony? His name's Tony. And he's part of a little group of friends online that no, met on a message he, board. Now they book shows together. and No, no, they don't book shows. They have get-togethers of each other. <laughs> they have get-togethers of each other? Get-togethers of each other. They have get-togethers. How does that they get meet together and work? have a few beverages, as a matter of fact, he says. Okay, so it's not a virtual get-together. No, it's it's an actual beverage get-together. And they want a, a wee shout-out. from, And he's from Clyde Bank, Scotland, so it's not the Tony you're thinking of. He has a jet. You have no idea. He has a jet. Oh, he doesn't have, jet, a, but he he doesn't have a, a place in Clyde Bank, though. They, they don't let just everybody in there. Old Tony from Clyde Bank says... Wrestling has given me some great friends and George. And our reminiscing about when wrestling was actually watchable reminds us of why we became friends in the first place. They wanted a wee little shout out. Well, there you go. Congratulations, Tony from Scotland, a.k.a. Uh, Tony Khan. And, and here's something else everybody wants an update on. Not only my colon, but everybody's colon. And the difference in people's colon from country to country. Did you know there's differences in the way that they approach your colon in different countries? Oh, is that what you meant by the differences in the colon from country to country, the, the ways they approach your colon? Well, there could be. There's a lot of differences in colons from country to country. The way you treat your colon. I mean, the way people, I hate to be gross, but the way people defecate is different from country to country. And that, of course, Well, affects. now, how would that change? 
What do you mean, how would that change? How would the fuck would that change? How do, do you change how you shit? How does well, is, For the same it, reason the squatty what, potty is so wonderful, because we were supposed to squat, but when people sit, your innards are not working the most appropriate way, the easiest way, the best way for your body. I don't know why I'm doing a sales pitch for someone. What are, I, are they a sponsor? They're now? not a sponsor. No. Okay. Well, don't buy their one, products. Number one, I got two bad knees and I can't squatty to potty. So I'll just sit and fucking read and contemplate the goddamn world as it is. Thank you very much. Like I have been for 60 years. And I bet most people, if you give them the choice, it does. It's not geographic. It's not limited to, to borders or countries or nationalities. Most people, Take a fucking dump the same way. Now, there may be variations in the wiping procedure. Well, some people squat over a hole in the ground. That's different than sitting down. Well, they got, what now you're knocking the poor people that can only afford I'm a hole in the I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking oh, them. You I'm advocating the for them. Your hand. Some people just squat over a hole in the ground. What if that's all you got? I'm speaking Don't up for them. Pride in that shit-filled hole in the ground if that's all you got? No, I think, no. First of all, I don't think no, anyone takes pride. No, you're not going to take pride in it? If no. Not, what if your father and mother left it to you? They dug the hole? Yes. And Is they their left shit the still in the hole? that they had, they left to you as a, a shit-filled hole in the ground. <laughs> Can't we be serious and talk about things like Reggie, the cat with lymphoma? Just shut up. All right. All right. Listen to me. The point is people, <laughs> people, I'm listening. People basically shit the same way. I think around the world, but they, they differ in, in how they do the colonoscopy. And I told a story about mine. We won't go into any more of that. But Jonathan from Bournemouth, UK, wrote, and the subject line of his email was, they put you under for a colonoscopy over there, question mark. So, of course, immediately I clicked on this, even though it was from about three weeks ago. That's immediately for me. Hi, Jim. Hi, Brian. They don't put you under for a colonoscopy over here in the United Kingdom. Believe it or not, they ask you to engage in the video on the monitor while talking you through everything they're seeing. Now, okay, but, but he says something else, but let's just stop here. Fuck you! Engage in the video on the cheering them on or, hey, move it a little to the left, Doc. That feels good. What the fuck? Why would you want to see that? Why would they let you see that? If I if I was conscious and able to see that and not strapped down, immobilized, I would injure myself coming up off that table and coming up off that fucking camera or that however off, out, up, down, it's getting yanked. <laughs> What the fuck? Why? What the fuck? No, I can't see any of that. I can't, I can't Could look. Could you see any surgery? Like if they did an arthroscopy? Of course not. No, I can't look at them doing surgery on other people, much less myself. No, I'll not be seeing that. No, I don't watch when they give me a shot. I don't watch when they put the needle in to draw blood from me. What? But that's different. I want to see none of this. But there's a difference between not wanting to see like, you know, flesh cut or anything happening on the outside and actually seeing a camera inside your body doing something, right? Don't want to see that either. Grosses me out. 
I've talked to a number of things gross me out. I don't want water in my ears. Don't want to open my eyes underwater. Don't want to take eye drops. I'm not going to be conscious. Don't want conscious. to watch a colonoscopy. <laughs> don't want to watch colonoscopy. I'm not going to be conscious and awake if somebody's pulling a tooth out of my fucking head. Really? Wow. No. Because it just won't happen. I'll wait till it falls out. No, you, <laughs> no, I, I don't want any, I don't want to witness any medical procedure or be conscious for anything that involves removing anything or putting anything back. Fuck you. But listen to this. Jonathan goes on. I've also had a cystoscopy where they place the same sort of camera in your urethra. As you can guess, the camera was, pause, bigger than my urethra, and I was awake for that. Oh, oh, so now, now it's gone too far. Uh-huh, I said, now see, everybody's got their fucking line. <laughs> That's my line. That's okay, my well. Line. <laughs> he says, fun times, a bit reminiscent of Limmywinks. But no, see, that's another thing. No, you'll not be treating me like a goddamn maple tree that you're trying to tap for sap. Uh, that's the thing that will not be happening either. There'll be another option, including my death. Anyway, what kind of heathens are they over there in the United Kingdom? I thought they were a civilized bunch, the Pip Pip and Cheerio type of set. They have they have bangers over there, bangers and mash. Well, things have gone to hell since they left the European Union. Well, Jesus Christ, can you afford a little goddamn propofol? Put a motherfucker to sleep before you go take a goddamn sightseeing tour of his lower intestines. Anyway, we got a, another email here, real quick. Will, real, will, will quick, we, will quick, we. From John Fell in Baltimore, and that's, by the way, have we mentioned that is the way John talks? He talks like Babwa Wawa. You know John can't pronounce his words correctly, I right? don't know we, that. Don't say that. Always, he sounds like he's two and a half years old. Hey, I have some Wawa. Anyway, John Fell in Baltimore writes, J.C. and Brian, I was listening to the experience and heard you talking about Andy Kim. Remember, you maligned Andy Kim here a while back. I wouldn't call that a maligning of Andy Kim, a discussion about Andy Kim. Yes. Well, he he always rocked me gently. Well, John Fell said, heard you talking about Andy Kim. Andy Kim was also known as Baron Longfellow. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. No, did you know also, that? I did not know that. It's a good name. And as Mama Cornette used to say, you tell me and we'll both know. Well, now I did and we do. Baron Longfellow, did you know that Andy Kim, a.k.a. Baron Longfellow, was a co-writer of the mega-hit Sugar Sugar by the Archies? I did not, and I love that song. I didn't, and he also sang on the recording. In the role of because Jughead, I assume. I'm not sure which. I, maybe they swapped out back and forth, I think, now, without harming any children's psyches or damaging anybody we can reveal that the archies were not really the voices on the archies records were not really from archie andrews and veronica lodge and jughead jones and reggie oh shit what reggie? was reggie's like 
Reggie the cat? Red, no, God, just quit. Why do you have to keep bringing things back to the cat? No, it was Red. What was Reggie? Oh, the, 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 the. Reggie. the song spent four weeks at number one. Sugar, sugar was four weeks at number one on the Hot 100. It replaced Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones. The wow. Rolling Stones were unseated in 1969, and I got the single. I still have that single. I'll have you know it, it. Besides, I think a fucking some kind of nursery rhyme record that my mom got for me. That was the first record I ever got. Uh, it's amazing. It Honky record. Tonk Woman went to number one. But it's amazing also that a fucking fake group from a cartoon show knocked the Rolling Stones out of number one. Record of the year for 1969. Sugar, sugar. Different audience. Oh, it was definitely a different audience. I, well, I don't know. It depends on who was taking the brown acid that year. At that point, they could have crossed over there. Speaking of crossing over, I mentioned this to you right before we went on the air here, and you got a, a tickle when you Googled it, but we've had a conversation going on Twitter the past uh, several days. I have been hearing about this character and this I've, I've seen the pictures i didn't really ask or get details or know what the fuck was going on until this week but i've been seeing these pictures of this japanese anime character that looks like he's dressed as me right and this week i guess come to find out i'm dressed as him but there is a, a guy put a collage together of different scenes from this anime series where this guy is called lupin the third l-u-p-i-n if you want to google it and i guess he's some kind of suave and deboner con man and criminal and international jewel thief and gad about whatever the fuck just like you just like me in in this japanese anime series and but it's not just one or two; it's like multiple of my colorful suit combinations. I know some people are going to say, "Well, Cornette, you at one point you mix and matched and wore anything," which is almost true. But I mean, down to the stripes on some of the ties with the outfits, it's uncanny, as they say. Down to having a big bubba. Yes, there's another guy with a fucking gangster suit and a fucking hat and everything. And I know some people, well, Cornette's a plagiarist, but I don't think Dusty Rhodes was watching Japanese anime uh, when he came up with Big Bubba. But but no, this thing, apparently, I asked on Twitter, I said, okay, what's the deal with this thing? Who is When is it from? Is the artist a wrestling fan? I'm thinking maybe did he draw you know my suits on this guy and come to find out that i guess it's still obviously is popular today because a bunch of people you know wrote and answered about it but it's an ongoing thing with a you know different sequels or incarnations or whatever but it started like 1971 i think the first series so this unbeknowing to me of this i've been dressing like this guy all this time well, not all this time. I did in the 80s. I haven't been dressing like that lately. Now, I will admit, I saw Speed Racer when I was a kid and 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 the Godzilla movies. That's as far as I went with Japanese culture at that point in time. 
And Speed Racer was cool. Go, Speed Racer. Go, Speed Racer. Go. Not really because the characters, although I liked the monkey. I can't remember what the monkey's name was. But I loved the fucking car and the idea of the push-button steering wheel. That was cool. Plus, it was on at 3.30 in the afternoon right after Presto the Magic Clown. So, Mama says it bees that way sometimes. I have some info here from the Lupin the Third wiki. As opposed to Wikipedia, this is one specific for Lupin the Third. Wait a minute, he has his own Wikipedia called Wiki? Well, it's his own wiki. It's not a Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a wiki of its own. This is a separate wiki. Let me go back. Sounds to like this. a wicked wiki to me. Lupin the Third is the world's most wanted gentleman thief. Oh. And the grandson of Arsene Lupin. He sometimes appears incompetent, but mostly as a charade to catch his opponents off guard. Aha! While he has been arrested and thrown in jail on a number of occasions, this really is like you. He has always managed to bio. <laughs> he has always managed to break out. He also has a fondness for fancy gadgets from time to time, such as in the movie The Castle of Cagliostro, where his belt features many small many small gadgets. Excuse me. His infatuation with women and Fujiko Mine, in particular, is perhaps his biggest weakness, as it often lands him in undesirable situations. He continues his grandfather's legacy of thievery. Well, that sounds like my kind of guy. No wonder I dress like him. I, did he get his pants from Michaels of Kansas City, like me and Flair? It is crazy. I always assume, because I've seen these pictures for years, I always assume that it was a Japanese wrestling fan or someone who just saw a picture of you in a magazine and was like, okay, there's our new bad guy in the cartoon. And it, the fact that the outfits are so similar. It's, it's wild. And, it, well, and also, I the can't green one, also. The green one is identical. The green I mean, jacket. And here's the thing. It's not far-fetched because, and I didn't mention Ultraman. Either Ultraman was a a big deal in, in this country for like a year in, what was it, 71 or 72. Uh, but the Japanese wrestling was so prominent in the Japanese culture because it was on network television. And at that time, in prime time, you know, with the with uh, Inoki and Baba still really on top and right at the formation of both of their companies was 1972 when they split off from the original company, and they were both stars of the original company's two network programs. So wrestling was everywhere in Japan. Point being, yes, there were wrestling moves in Ultraman from the monsters and from Ultraman. And yes, there was a wrestling influence in a lot of Japanese culture at that time. But in this case, it was before I started wearing that shit. So now I'm, now I'm going to be branded a plagiarist. But now they'll just have to do the who wore it better thing. Lupin was voted the eighth most iconic anime hero by Mania.com. IGN ranked Lupin as the 15th best anime character of all time in 2009, placing him in the 16th spot in 2014. And after completing his involvement with the Lupin the Third franchise in 1980, Hayao Miyazaki wrote an article in Animage where he discussed his view of the series and the character, he stated that Lupin was, quote, 
truly a character of his era, but that as the franchise progressed, he had been overtaken by the real world. Just, Ooh, like, you, just like you. Just like me. <laughs> and then does, does he do the second act where he drops completely out of society and becomes bigger than ever? That's crazy. That quote's from 1980, so that's two years before you wore any suit on wrestling TV. <laughs> well, uh, technically a year before you wore any suit on wrestling TV. All right. Well, my birthday suit I was in before that. Oh, me. Well, you know, I was going to give the folks an update on the cameo sale that is was going to, to happen today and actually did happen about the time that we started speaking. And as I've checked this, I see that they're not available. That means they've all been sold out in an, an hour again, or Hotchkiss Featherbottom has been blown away by a tornado. And didn't put them on sale at all. So we hope to have an update on that a little bit later in the program. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know who won the pony through the miracle of modern technology? I can now give you the update that by the time you hear this, the cameo messages will be gone. They've been up for about an hour and 15 minutes. We were selling 80. We've got 17 left. But that's the uh, the update on how that went. So don't go there when you hear this because they're already gone. But we warned you. All righty. Speaking of being warned, would you like to hear the top secret email, Brian Last, that I was sent to a an anonymous email account by a industry expert about the video game industry? So not a wrestling industry expert, a video game industry expert. This is a person whose name shall remain nameless, see? But he says, I work in the software industry in a hybrid role as business analyst project manager, right? And when we were talking about how these video games are, not the nuts and bolts of it, but that old Kenny Olivier has been put in charge of it and they had a problem with the rating because of the blood and the Molotov cocktails and whatever the fuck. Just why is this thing taking so dead burn long, right? That's been the topic of everybody's conversation. Well, this person, experienced in the software industry, has a look at how video games are or would be developed and what role different people would play. Would you like to hear some of this? Yes, I would. Okay. Uh, in, in this case, in this person's professional role as a business analyst, project manager, he would meet with the product owner, but in this instance, it would be Twinkle Toes, the person in charge of the project, and he would document what they're looking for in an app or software, prioritize what needs to be built, meet with the development team, and oversee the process of building, testing, and the rollout. Twinkle Toes hits the trifecta of what makes a terrible product owner because, number one, he has too much say in what will be built. Number two, knows too much about what he wants to see in the game. And number three, most importantly, has no discipline in prioritizing what needs to be built first. Developers build the underlying architecture, the foundation, based on the agreed-upon set of requirements. So if Twinkletoes initially agreed to building a townhouse, 
but later says that he changed his mind and now wants a Taj Mahal, it'll mess up the whole timeline. Every new set of bells and whistles exponentially increases the time to build, test, and roll out the new game. You might wonder how hard can it be to have a Molotov cocktail in a wrestling video game. I've always wondered that. Haven't you, Brian? No, I mean, I've played games with Molotov cocktails. It seems pretty easy. Well, it's not. It's not. The game doesn't think for itself. You have to clearly define what it can and cannot do. You have to think of all the scenarios. You have to define who can throw the Molotov cocktail. Does the wrestler have to be at a certain energy level and above to throw the Molotov cocktail? What should happen if the player tries to throw the Molotov cocktail into the crowd? And are Molotov cocktails available in all matches, etc.? A single line of requirements sometimes translates to hundreds of lines of code. Every time you add these new bells and whistles, you risk breaking other parts of the game and risk it becoming a house of cards. The project manager will have to be masterful in reminding the product owner to stick to the core functionality of the game, which is wrestlers wrestling, and not bells and whistles like Molotov cocktails and piss balloons. If the project has lax timelines and no budget constraints, the development team and the project manager will be more than happy to continue building new bells and whistles and keep billing Tony Khan for them. As the principal stakeholder, Tony Khan would have to step in and set strict timelines and budget constraints in order for the video game to finally come out. They can always roll out new features in future versions of the game because they'll need to have new features for people to buy newer versions of the game every year. WWE has been releasing newer versions of the game every year since 2000. So not only that, but that brings up an interesting point. You're buying a game for a fucking year and then they want you to buy another game. Why, I still have the toys that I had when I was six years old that still work. It's not exactly how it is. If you bought Grand Theft Auto years ago, there are downloads and various packages you could add to the game you already have. Well, sounds like a some kind of scam to me. But anyway, in, in all seriousness, when you think about it, is that what's going on? Is Twinkle Toes saying, well, do this or do that or do the other thing? And they're saying, sure, as long as Tony's paying for it, we'll do whatever the fuck you want us to do. Very interesting. But stupid. Hello? Speaking of stupid. <laughs> All right. I, th I thought that in email would energize you to say, well, what in the wide world of sports is going on over there? Well, you know, I mean, at this it's point, at this point, and I feel bad saying this, I'd rather save up my Tony comments for later in the show for Dynamite because it's like, it's ridiculous. We all know what this is. Whatever you think of what he did to wrestling, he took someone who likes playing games and put him in charge of making. I was going to say a multi-million dollar game at this point. I mean, they're saying it's $20 million at least sunk into it. Oh. By the way, it's also a person who has very poor people skills when it comes to being a manager of people. And you'll be hearing more about that in the future. So I think it's been a colossal mistake. We'll see when the game comes out. If, you know, if it makes money, I'll be surprised. We'll see if it comes out and it makes money, if it is critically acclaimed. But, you know, it was kind of like... Imagine if you were like 
20 years old and all of a sudden you had a bunch of money and all of a sudden you had a bunch of friends and you just wanted to spend all this money and say, hey, yeah, you do this. What do you like to do? I like to uh, draw pictures. Okay, go start a newspaper comic. You know, just handing people fucking things that they shouldn't be doing. But in a lot of ways, that's the story of AEW. Well, you know, another one of the features that's taken it a long time to get to market because of the because of the intricate nature of how they have to write all the hundreds and thousands of lines of code and everything is, uh, from what I understand, when the game comes out, each wrestler is going to have the ability to shave their own balls. Were you aware of this? I have not heard this. I do not know that this is true. In fact, I think it is not. Well, no, as a matter of fact, they had to, honestly, they had it screwed up at the start because they had some of the girl wrestlers shaving their own balls too. And that obviously didn't work. So that's one of those lines of code that they had to go back and rewrite. But at least we know now that if you're a male wrestler on the AEW roster in the video game, you'll be able to shave your own balls. But of course, that's nothing that we all can't do already. And we've been doing it for some time because even before the AEW video game Take Forever comes out. We've been telling people how they can shave their own balls for well, years now. And doesn't the whole, basically, world smell better as a result of that? When you think about the crotch rot that was running rampant just five or ten years ago in this country, and then hygiene has been upgraded, and the, 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 the hygiene awareness of your crotchal and testicle area has been increased significantly and exponentially through the last several years. I believe it's because of our podcast, Brian. I be believe it's because we have brought this pressing problem of ball stank and crotch rot to the public consciousness. And for that, we have to thank our friends at Manscaped. Because after all, they're the ones leading the charge. They're the ones, if it wasn't for them, we would rem remain blissfully ignorant. We'd still be doing things the old way. I've told you that back in my day, kids, when you had to, when you had to cut the hair off of your balls and crotch by candlelight with a pair of pinking shears. And my God, some of the, the, the problems that you encountered there, well, just the, 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 the clippage alone led to a lot of guys being sterile, you know, and, and then, there's the bad aim when you try to get in some of those angles. But now Manscaped has it all taken care of. And not only that, folks, but they have different products for different applications. You don't have to use the same pinking shears or, in potentially some cases, your dog's poopy butt trimmers. You don't have to use those on your nose hair and your ear hair and your face hair and your ball. You don't have to cross-pollinate. All of the various implements that you use now for the various hairs and growths on your body. Because they got it all taken care of. And with the Performance Package 4.0, you're going to get the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. The in most incredible personal grooming implement ever developed with the LED light. So you can backlight those things and look like oak trees. And you can trim them all down just like the wind blowing in the Louisville area. And the nose and ear hair trimmer called the Weed Whacker. So now you'll be able to honk and snort 
much more easily without all that blockage. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, the Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies in. No, not those goodies. You already have a bag for those. We're talking about the goodies from Manscaped. And, of course, all you got to do right now is head over to manscaped.com and use the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, to get 20% off and free shipping on the Performance Package 4.0 where you can eliminate odor. And you can actually, you can make your nether regions a conversation piece. If you do it right, these things are very artistic. You can make little designs. It can be a flamingo. It can be a, a cute little bunny with twinkly bunny ears, whatever you like. And it can start conversations at your neighborhood Applebee's. So right now, manscaped.com, use the code DRIVE, 20% off, and free shipping. Your balls and your server at Applebee's will thank you. I don't know why this reminded me of it. Of course, check out Manscaped, a fine company, fine sponsor. Fine people. Did you see that clip going around of the wrestler lifting the wrestler over his head and the referee lights the wrestler on fire? And then the guy yeah. throws him at, towards a table that's so far away from the fucking ring. No one could have done it. Did you see this? Yes, I did. I saw that on the Twitter machine. And it's, uh, again, it's Darwin. It's uh, it's <laughs> nature taking its course. It's You didn't even do justice to the table throw. He threw him in the direction of a table that was sitting in the back of the arena. And the guy fell, what, easily 10 feet short, if not, but while he was on fire. And then a bunch of other people swarmed him or whatever. But the, the we're, we'll talk about referee involvement in a few minutes. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say that, yes, you can call that referee biased if he intentionally sets one of the participants on fire. Do you think it's worse for a referee to hold a ladder? Or to light their opponent on fire. <laughs> well, let's not give them any ideas for next week. You know, Tony's susceptible to things like this. If he thinks 15 people got a chuckle over it on the fucking internet, he'll book it on national TV. But, yeah, I think we can definitely say that is a biased referee if he sets one of the participants on fire. Well, you know, I'm not a fan of the fire spots. I don't know why anyone would be. And I wouldn't use them. And I'm not justifying them, but if you were going to use them, I would say you should start by having people there so that it means something. When there's no one there, why are you lighting someone on fire to throw them? Because there's somebody with a camera and they're doing it for themselves. And that's what uh, the problem with some of Tony Khan's talent is. They don't get out of that mindset when they actually end up finding themselves in some freak nature on national television. They still... Oh, there's a camera here. I can save this and watch it at home with my friends before we play video games. Do you think he told that wrestler, I can make the throw? I've done this. You don't weigh that much. I've been lifting for years. I can make it from here to that table. I'm sure he, well, he had to have, didn't he? Or, or, or did he not he, expect the table would be all the way in the back of the room? Well, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know, hold my hand and walk through this with me here. Maybe he wasn't even throwing him at the, the table just happened to be sitting there and he just said, I'm just going to throw you as far as I can and just see what happens. Cause you're on fire anyway. <laughs> so what, 
Where, where, what does it matter really how you land when you're on fucking fire? Can you imagine you go through the air, you're in flames, you're like, you know what? Nothing will ever be worse than this. And then bam! Yeah. Oh, man! <laughs> but that's the thing. Maybe we we have misapprehended this thing and he wasn't aiming at the table at all. And we were thinking he's trying to do Lawler and Leduc in the Coliseum <laughs> again, but only with 20 extra feet, right? No, he just happened to pitch him in that direction because that's the farthest he could fling him and and not land on anybody else because the, the, there were no fans there. Well, there were no fans in the building, really, but there were definitely no fans in that area. So, just yeah, I'll just pick you up and throw you as far as I can. Longer and Leduc, how far was the actual distance? Because on the video, because it's shot from ringside almost below it, it almost looks like he goes up and down as opposed to across. Like No, well, out. he did. Well, it was an up and down and... I will say from being there, not that night, but from being there and knowing where the table sat and where I would, the table from the apron of the ring, eight feet, maybe 10. Because I could, you know, that's about the, they had a nice wide ringside area at the Coliseum in Memphis because they, you know, had the cameraman around and also they didn't want a lot of trouble and they had room on the floor in the Coliseum. So it was about 10 feet. And Lawler has actually even said afterwards when he went back and looked at the video, because it was so, nobody had ever tried something like that before. He had visualized that he could do it, but he screwed it up because as LaDuke had him over his head in like a press slam position and was walking and he was going to go right to the ropes and then pitch Lawler and Lawler thinking, if I can splash the table, I'll be okay. Lawler just out of reflex, and usually he would never do something like this, but you see on the tape, he reached down and grabbed that top rope as he was going over it just out of instinct or whatever, like, oh, shit, I'm going over the rope. And he said that may have slowed down what LaDuke was trying to do that because he got him nine feet, not 10, but nine. And Lawler went right in the side. And that wasn't one of these Home Depot fucking banquet tables. This was the... The table they used at ringside in, in Memphis every week was heavy oak. Yeah, the table didn't budge. It, Lawler no, budged. It, it, <laughs> well, yeah, because it didn't it didn't fold. It was heavy oak with legitimate fucking four by four legs. And it was built that way. And it wasn't a foldable table. And I, about a year later, they had that Fargo's match that I was at and Jackie Fargo determines he's going to turn that table over and take a table leg into the ring with him. And God, he had to kick that son of a bitch about seven or eight times where he could break that leg off. And then the the wood didn't break. He he brought the nails out with it. So it was a hefty fucking table. And yeah, LaDuke got Lawler nine feet, not 10. This guy would have had to gone 30 feet or whatever anyway. So it was ridiculous. Well, that's independent wrestling news, ladies and gentlemen. And and besides that, Lawler did it in front of 8,000 people as a kickoff to an angle with a guy he worked with all summer and, and probably made in the mid-five figures just off the matches in Memphis. I can't even name one of the participants in this clip that's going around. Nobody else ever will either. But anyway, there you have Well, as a matter of fact, that's a good entree into this week's <laughs> AEW Dynamite television program. Where, oh, where is Punk tonight? Why did he leave us here all alone? We searched the world over and thought we'd found a big star. 
He punched a buck and he was gone. Oh, boy. Oh, if punk coming back means less singing. Come back CM Punk. Well, tomorrow. then we get to hear like Mussolini. Oh. You know, that was the worst part of CM Punk's first run in AEW was your singing. I'll have you. That's know. how good a run it was. That was the worst part. People enjoyed it. People enjoyed it. The run and the singing. But no, it, the Cow Palace is 25% full, or another way to say that is 75% empty for a live national television program. And you can say, well, but they're in San Francisco for the pay-per-view. And then why are they in the same town the Wednesday before when the pay-per-view is not sold out yet? I understand. I told you this here yesterday. I understand as a television production viewpoint, saving the the cost of the load in and load out, but they're not doing that because they're in different buildings. They're saving trance, but then how long do they have to put people up? Are they flying them back and forth? Or are they putting them up in San Francisco, California for a fucking week? Yeah, it's one thing if it's WrestleMania weekend and it's WWE running a bunch of shows where they have thousands of their fans in a town, you know they're going to be able to sell out more than likely NXT and the Hall of Fame and all these various things or even a SummerSlam weekend. But AEW has been doing this thing, not as egregious as here where it's multiple nights in this town and they didn't draw the first night, but where they were in Texas for weeks, they were in the Northeast for just, seemed like a month straight. Every show was within driving distance. I mean, it was kind of crazy. And here they are at San Francisco. Again, it's not WrestleMania weekend and an AEW revolution this year is not what AEW revolution was last year. And they're running all these shows. I mean, thank God they're not running the pay-per-view in the Cow Palace. The crowd they had for the TV would have looked a lot better in the building they're running the pay-per-view from. Well, uh, Cow Palace, and it, the, the problem with the Cow Palace also is the floor area is immense. So that sometimes even makes it look worse than it is. But nevertheless, um, as we will find out shortly, I know you're standing by with those ratings, aren't you? Last week's rotten show came home to roost in the ratings because we said okay what was the reason for the anomaly you couldn't really say yes they had no nba but they weren't against the nba the majority of the year the past three years this never happened like this what was it tony's announcement well if it was then that's going to kind of come back to bite him because the announcement fell flatter in a plate full of piss, a new reality show when everybody wanted, we've signed fucking, you know, goddamn Bruiser Brody or whatever. A signing, the video game, anything else yeah. except that. He didn't, he didn't even make the announcement. But the uh, point is, they kept the audience for the first time last week and did a good number. And we said, my God, sooner or later, the blind score will find a nut, but Tony will take this because it was all his friends and key positions and the people that are nice to him. He will take this as a sign that he should do this every week. And that's what he did. And he he was interviewed this week. I don't know what it was because I know he does a couple of regular spots in different places. And then he just interviews with seemingly anyone. But I read where he was talking about how he thought the rating was indicative of Fans really getting into the stories, the stories all coming together, going uh, into the pay-per-view. And it's like, no. that's the exact opposite of what's happening right now. The stories all are terrible. Your booking is not good right now. And he looks for anything he can to justify his reasoning as opposed to, 
maybe my reasoning isn't working. I need to find a different solution. And nobody close to him was willing to say, well, Tony, since this has never happened before, then shouldn't you find a reason other than that? That Because you've had, is he saying now, well, these are his best stories ever. And they've all come, this is his best talent ever. And it's all coming together. This is his best what it, no, he's had better shit in the past. And they still didn't do the rating, keep the number, whatever the case. So instead of trying to potentially find out what, it really was, or whether it was random chance, or whether it was the announcement and then he let him down with the announcement or whatever, he uses that as, oh, they think they like me. They really like me. And then next week, they don't like you. They don't really like you. And he didn't learn anything. And we got more outlaw mud show bad indie wrestling on television. Same start, too. It was like he doubled down yeah, on what happened I last called week. that one. Yeah. And you told me, you say, you know what, what else can you say? You said skip this one this week, because what else can you say about pockets? But for big bad Bill's sake, I wanted to see what the, and again, Tony is using anything he can to make himself right rather than to modify his behavior. So last week he put pockets on the fucking first match and kept the audience. So now we got to see pockets open the show all the, but now somehow, you know, we're back to reality and people are seeing what they're seeing with pockets. I'm not, but I wanted to see how they were going to do this from the standpoint of they put him against old big bad bill. I know his name's big bill, but you got to put something in there and make it interesting. So I've added the bad and Stokely. Now that pockets is wrestling a seven foot fucking 300-pound Greg Allman, but how are they going to potentially make this feasible? Because in Pockets is still a small, unimposing, mousy figure of a human. So we've said before, I said a couple weeks ago, Bill's looking better. He had some facials. He had some fire. But this negated that while he was trying to stooge for the idiot and keep up with the rolling round, he had mono face, and also he was made to look like not only an idiot, but ineffectual, because he can't beat this fucking guy. The first two minutes of the match was pockets slowly and without any excitement whatsoever, working his gimmick, rolling away and bailing out, and... It was, you know, the quarter of the house in the cow palace might have loved it, but it was death for a TV viewer. They weren't even touching and nobody was even chasing anybody. And finally, when the seven foot, 300 pound guy takes over, <laughs> did you see him miss his own stinger splash into the turnbuckles? Yes, I did. The pockets is in the corner. Big Bill runs at him, dives, pockets, doesn't move, and Big Bill goes right beside of him, and so I guess he was supposed to move, or he didn't get the memo. I don't know what the fuck's going on. And then they go to the floor for about a minute. I counted, I've actually timed it. They're on the floor for a minute, and in slow motion, uh, Big Bill and Stokely set up a table but then Pockets fights back, but then Big Bill choke slams Pockets through the table onto the floor, and that's the break spot. So they were on the floor for two minutes. There was no count out. The manager helps with a table spot. There's no disqualification. Then they go to the break, and in picture in picture, you see 
the idiot mascot on the floor for another 45 seconds. He's already been outside for two minutes by my watch. There's no count out. The doctor checks on him. There's no stoppage of the match. And when Big Bill throws him back in the ring, he doesn't even cover him. Since now he's got a chance to win, he throws him back out to the floor. And then when you come back from the break, Danhausen had come out to support Pockets, who still has a seven-foot guy hitting this little hatchet head with everything and can't beat him. Danhausen tries to curse Big Bill, and Big Bill goes to choke slam him, but Stokely says, no, I want him. And Stokely backhands Danhausen with his cast. <laughs> this is going on while the match is still supposedly going on. And all this shit, why was this even necessary? What the fuck is happening? So then our little puppy pockets makes a hundred mile per hour comeback and hits dives on everybody like four or five minutes after he's been not even after he's been choke slammed through a table by a seven foot giant. And he hits some spinning things and he hits Roman Reigns' finish three times in a row and beats the seven foot guy one, two, three. And so, Big Bill, thank you for coming. Facials or not, you're feared by no one. You're looked at as a complete laughing stock. You're now completely useless on the roster. And the whole first quarter hour with the highest viewership, probably, and I think the ratings will, I don't know them yet quarter by quarter. But I bet it'll bear it out. The quarter with the highest viewership was a complete waste of time and leads to nothing and makes me want to buy nothing of the pay-per-view. What were your thoughts? I'll go back to what you said at the top. I told you to skip this. I said, (laughs) there's no reason for you to watch this. There's no value in it. Stokely is getting more and more, not comedic, but more and more silly just because you can't take him seriously. Be one thing if all of a sudden he's dressing like a Black Panther and you could take him seriously. He's a comedy character now on the show. Yeah, it's, it's, well, if, if they made a Hogan's Heroes out of the Black Panthers, Stokely would fit right in at this point. Orange Cassidy beat Big Bill. I'm not surprised. I don't know if Big Bill could beat Riho at this point in AEW. <laughs> and I think I've talked about how cold I think Orange Cassidy really is. That doesn't mean that if you go into a hot place like Phoenix, they're not going to pop for everything. There are certain crowds that they're so happy the circus is in town, they're going to go ape shit for everything. But the people that have been watching regularly, the people that maybe a little more jaded or cynical, whatever it may be, you've been watching this guy week after week, and then he would take breaks, and they'd bring him back on TV, and then week after week, and here we are. This current run where Tony mixes guys in and out, he's the All-Atlantic champion, a title that means nothing. <laughs> I'm not even talking about the fact that they have other flags on the belt. The title means nothing. Does the title mean anything in AEW? Until he defended the title last week on TV, if you closed your eyes and tried to imagine who the champion was, did you know it was Orange Cassidy? The title well, can, means nothing. Can, can, you, can you list all the champion the championships that they have and who has them. There are just belts all over the place, but that's a whole different story. But the point is Orange Cassidy, I said it, he's doink in 95. Came out last week. They had a big opening number, which they did a good job of maintaining. 
throughout that show for whatever reason. This week, you started the same way with the same guy that you've started so many shows with. I think enough people are turned off or feel like they've seen the whole fucking thing with him. They don't need to see it anymore. But that's what I said last week. They've done this constantly. They start to show with him whatever. They always lose audience. Last week, they start to show they didn't lose with him. They didn't lose audience. If the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, when he did it umpteen times, he finally got a different result. And now he's going to keep doing it because it thinks it proved him right. Anyway, speaking of insanity, over and over. So we had the VTR promo of Moxley last week after the match. The match with whoever busted him open last week. It happens every week. So, but he got busted open. Oh, that was, that was Adam Page, old hangnail with the barbed wire loop that he put around his fist. But it, they shot the promo right after the match. Moxley still covered in blood and engaging in his self-indulgent masturbatory fantasies that he's a badass and a tough guy and a horror movie villain and a hobgoblin, whatever the fuck. And they got lots of close-ups of the pool of blood developing at his feet. And hey, not only did this shit work in the territories because it... It, it it worked with the TV stations because it wasn't constant and overdone or done by people that were not over or not important or just people were sick of in the territories, but also the local TV station standards were easier back then in a lot of cases with the local programming and the company that you did business with every week and the promote they'd been there 15 years and people watched the show. And okay, and even then the territory still got in TV trouble. Now this is a national television operation with some kind of standards. And I guess they're impressed with this audience these days, but it ain't the Super Bowl audience, and it sure ain't what was watching wrestling 20 years ago. So again, for a variety, I'm not against blood in wrestling. And I'm not against showing it, but the promo, it it would be good coming from a guy who looked like something. It didn't have the shitty garbage matches that don't make any sense. And if this didn't happen to him every fucking week, if it was shocking because it was a shocking occurrence instead of expected. If, again, this guy just wasn't into the whole violence because I'm so angry and bad and mean at the world or whatever the fuck. And he doesn't, here's nothing. It's not like Moxley is fucking Abdullah the Butcher, this raging madman. He's been a baby face. Now he's a heel against Paige, but he doesn't cheat like a heel because he does the same thing all the time. He tries to go out and end people's careers with goofy stunts and furniture. He never pays attention to rules at all. So how do we know when he's cheating? I think this he's just convinced that he's the Sheik and Stone Cold Steve Austin rolled up into one, and he's going to do this shit. A Texas death. They didn't even pop for the Texas death match in Texas because it was him and Paige involved in it. And not only are neither one of them from Texas, they probably don't give a fuck who wins this thing because they're both 
muddled baby faces that have suddenly one's turned without a turn. We didn't know the turn was coming until a turn happened. Then we thought, well, he's a fucking asshole lately, isn't he? What, what is happening here? I don't know. Uh, what I can't explain any of the AEW booking and what's going on on TV here. Moxley loves the bleed. He's going to do it no matter what. This was one of his better promos. And with that, it went too long. I feel like a lot of his best promos, it's like, all right, good. And then it goes another 30 seconds or whatever. (laughs) And he can't match that energy any longer. But it was an all right promo, but I'm not into the match. As far as Texas death, when you announce a stipulation that isn't clearly defined on a show where minutes earlier there was a Texas tornado match, (laughs) the fuck does the stipulation mean? It's just another stipulation match. How many stipulation matches have there been in the last month in AEW? So and well, and then they expected a pop in Texas for the Texas Death Match, and the last time they did a Texas Death Match, they didn't actually do a Texas Death Match. It was one fall to a finish with no Texas Death Match, no rules at all, because none of their matches have any. But it wasn't Texas Death Match rules, and it was only one fall. So is that what they're going to do again? Maybe people, well, they didn't do it last time. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's a one-hour Iron Man match on the show. You better hope it's not Texas Deathmatch rules. Well, I was about to say, I don't <laughs> want to see either one of these fucking guys for 18 falls either. Don't get me wrong. But you, why advertise shit when you don't deliver it? Well, you, you can, especially when you can actually have the the match according to the rules of the match that everybody knows and is aware of. You don't have to change it. Just if you don't want to have that match, then don't book that match. Book a different match with different rules. Don't call it something different because that way you confuse people. Anyway, speaking of confusing people, you know, I got to admit that this is the best angle that Kenny and the Buckaroos have ever done on their television. This I think this was my favorite segment they have ever done. And I think they should do this every week because they've hit on a strategy here. Their music starts and everybody likes Kansas. So we get to hear some of carry on my wayward son. And then before they even have time to leave their posed positions in the entranceway, the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, there's the House of Black standing over all three of the EVPs laying there in a puddle of piss. And the House of Black is holding the six-man tag team belts that nobody gives a shit about that were made so that Kenny and his friends could have some belts to play with. And that took 30 seconds. And when this shocking incident happens... They follow it up by going to graphics to pitch the pay-per-view match and out of that pitch pitch a bunch of other matches. And when they come back, you see five seconds of the tail end of the cameras seeing people half-heartedly helping the EVPs back through the entryway and out of the arena, and that's the last we saw of them. That was genius. You know what I think about the lights out thing, so let's try to actually look at it in kayfabe. (laughs) Do these wrestlers telepathically have the ability to control the lights coming on and off? Or is there, for a generation now, a heel lighting guy, or at least one in every promotion, 
that takes money on the side from these wrestlers or he's aligned with them creatively or mentally. What in any way would cause this? It's just, it's the idea of getting a slight pop, but getting a reaction to something that in your head looks cool. But was it as effective as those guys standing there and Hasselback runs out and kicks the shit out of them and leaves? I don't think so. Again, what you have in your head for the horror movie that no one's ever going to pay to see is different than what works for professional wrestling. So, no. Lights out, lights on. That's beyond lazy booking at this point. That's, you're a fucking idiot. Find something else. Well, but no, now they did it in ECW. And ECW is what they're trying to do here now. They did it in the ECW. Again, you know, every great once in a while, when they started doing this in the 90s, if there was a blackout and the lights came on and there was a shocking surprise or a debut or whatever, you'd kind of get by with it because everybody's caught up in the moment. But once that worked, and then Paul made it a point to have a surprise as a regular thing, and that popularized it with the Mark crowd. And then, you know, now uh, the lights just go out when they do everywhere because that's a thing you do in wrestling because these knuckleheads haven't been around long enough know that, no, it doesn't have to be that way. But anytime I can only see these characters for 30 seconds, I'll take it. I enjoyed that angle with them better than anything else, especially because of what we had for the next 25 minutes. And, you know, the, the, their match did create a lot of controversy online. I'm not sure it's for what they wanted it for. But even when they do something that we normally would say, well, God, at least they're coming to their senses, they do it in such a way that you can't praise it. We've been saying for months and months and months and by the years, Hobbs, Hobbs, you got a star there. Boy, you ought to be developing that. Wow, what potential. So they put Hobbs in a match where they not only put him over, but he gets a shot at a title, and they put him in the absolute worst possible match for a guy of his talents to spotlight them in any way correctly. What they do is they put him in a indie wrestler's wet dream match that the other one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fucking guys were just thrilled to be in, I'm sure, and none of them mean a goddamn thing. Except for old take-a-shit. Because the people are still into him, but... Okay, it's Sammy Guevara, and we know what we're going to see here because it's a ladder match. It's Action Andretti, who's already been mostly forgotten. It's Ortiz, who I'd forgotten he still worked there. It was a guy in a mask that was never identified till the match already started. His name is Commander, apparently. Our friend Take a Shit, Eddie Kingston, whose horse has left the barn a long time ago because now he's just floating around. I guess he's pissed too many people off. A.R. Fox and M.R. Wangs, his manager, and Powerhouse Hobbs in a ladder match. And whoever climbs the one of the multiple ladders and gets the golden hemorrhoid pillow will get a shot at the TNT title next week on television. 
uh, again, look at those names, and I know Eddie Kingston is not a high flyer, but apparently, as we'll talk about in a second, they didn't give a shit whether he was in the match or not anyway, and maybe he said, I don't want to be in this fucking match. But otherwise, everybody else fits Guevara, Andretti, the guy in the mask, uh, AR5, everybody fits. This is an indie wrestling fans, outlaw wrestler, wet dream fantasy match. They can do all the shit with all the furniture and all the stunts. None of it makes a shit. None of it means anything. Nobody's going to remember it tomorrow, but they're going to take the video home and show their friends. So, without even any introductions, so everybody comes off like a job guy, the bell rings, and Kingston and Ortiz get in a fight on the floor, and the other guys start doing shit, but Kingston and Ortiz, well, Brian, you know what they did, don't you? I do. They just fought off. They just fought off. They got in a fight on the floor, and they fought to the back, and we never saw them again. And the announcer actually referred to him about midway through the match. Well, we understand they were pulled apart in the back. So was that a big angle that was expected to make us want to see a match between Kingston and Ortiz? Or was that just two guys that said, you know, fuck you. We don't want to be in this thing. We might hurt ourselves. What do you think? No, I think it's, uh, well, those two, you know, work together, but also they're doing something with Eddie Kingston. That's an angle. Well, good. But anyway, everybody else got in a fight on the floor. There were two dives in the first 15 seconds. There's multiple ladders. There's a 10-foot ladder in the ring. There's a 15-foot ladder that comes in within the first two minutes. And, you know, again, Hobbs looks great in spots in a match like this when he's beating people up. But he's in the ring with children and nobodies. And it, it looks bad when he's in this mess. And it, they tried to turn him heel, but the people were loving him here, throwing people around because that's impressive. And there's no reason to dislike him because they probably can't even remember how he turned heel. And then, you know, they, they do dives by the gymnast and the lucha guy walks the top rope corner to corner and dives on everybody. Why? Since everybody else was out on the floor, theoretically, you could have just got the ladder and won the fucking match, you stupid idiot. But instead, you do something fancy and jump on everybody and go out there on the floor where you can't win either. It it went about six minutes, seemed like an hour, they went to the break. And they come back with more of the ladders. There's a ladder propped on the ladder, and they're doing a teeter-totter ladder balance with the ropes and the ladder in the ring and the ladder on the apron on the barricade, and and they're taking bumps on them, and they're using chairs now in front of the referee because, according to now, ladder match, no DQ, lazy booking. Was Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels a no-disqualification match, the latter match at WrestleMania? I don't remember that stipulation being announced. I mean, there were no rules um, implied, but... It wasn't a no-disqualification match because it didn't have to be. Because they weren't going... They already had a gimmick. We're not going to put a hat on a hat. They can use the ladder. The ladder's legal. So they still can't go out in the fucking crowd and grab a handgun out of some woman's purse and bring that in because that's not part of the match. 
Again, all the marks and the outlaws and the indie-minded goofs that have taken over not only this company, but all the companies, think that everything's no DQ if you've got a stipulation on a match that doesn't have anything to do with whether it ought to be no DQ or not. Because that's an excuse for the guys to take shortcuts and do shit that doesn't make any fucking sense. And that's all they want to do. And that's what this fucking was. And it was shit for 25 minutes on national television. Using chairs, no DQ. Then old Action Andretti tried to give the Falcon Arrow. The fuck name is that? The Falcon Arrow. To Sammy off a ladder onto a ladder, and they fell off and almost killed themselves. And it they take forever to do the fake-looking setups so they can take more ridiculous bumps. Then Daniel Garcia, the Rock's ex, just jumps in and joins the match and beats up Andretti and take a shit in front of the referees because it's no disqualification. Then why didn't you go out and hire a bunch of crackheads that need money to come and follow you in and as soon as the bell rings, just have all the crackheads beat your op- opponents up? So Garcia comes in and beats them up. And then, so then they, 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 Garcia and Sammy put Action Andretti on the ladder and Sammy climbs to the top of another ladder and they're out on the floor and he does the senton off onto Action on the ladder for no re, hurts them both. And the ladder ain't going to break because it's metal. There's no reason for do while everybody else to match is laying around trying not to win. Sammy's got and and tell everybody he's crazy first by spinning his finger. Well, are you a baby face? You fucking grinning little goof. I've had enough of you too while I'm thinking about it. You smarmy slappable faced idiot. Which one? You've, Sammy Guevara. He's fucked up a number of goddamn positions where he was really popular and really over, and it wasn't just because of the booking being bad that he's not anymore and that he lost those spots as a babyface and a heel is because of his stupidity. And now he's a heel, but he still wants us to know that he's crazy. So we'll cheer for him when he does something cool because he's crazy, but he's supposed to be a heel. He don't know what he is. And he got trouble running his fucking dick liquor. He ought to shut his pie hole every once in a while and concentrate on trying to make money in this business instead of being a fucking stunt man. I'm about fed up with him too. So then Garcia pushes Sammy up the ladder. The guy that's not even in the match is pushing the guy that's in the match up the ladder, help, but then take a shit, pushes that over, and all they go over. And now take a shit's climbing, and the people want him to win. They're up for that. But Hobbs knocks him over with the ladder. And in the process, as take a shit falls sideways, Takes the ladder over, it fucks up the ladder leg. Now there, besides the fact that there is a good, taller ladder in the corner on the floor, just right in the corner of the ring there, (laughs) Hobbs starts climbing the bad ladder and he calls the referees and says, hold the ladder. And this started an entire controversy. And before we get to that, let me just say that at home, I'm sitting there thinking, well, He needs a bigger ladder, and he's the tallest guy in this fucking match. But they have different size ladders. I don't see how he's going to get 
what he needs to get using this ladder that's now broken on top of that. But the referees come in the ring, and they all squat down and hold the ladder while he starts climbing. Let's go into the controversy there. All of the people who have eyesight and common sense said, well, isn't this some kind of fucking flea market bullshit? Uh, Besides the fact that the referees have to hold the thing, isn't that showing favoritism to one competitor helping somebody win by having to hold the ladder? And Bryce Rimsberg, one of the referees in question, and I know Bryce from Ring of Honor days, except now I've seen footage of him with the working with the Invisible Man, so Bryce, you can go fuck yourself too, you Invisible Man fellating fucking imbecile. Bryce Rimsberg <laughs> gets on Twitter and says, well, what's more important? Looking like that it's predetermined or favoritism or helping a co-worker stay safe. Like they're doing fucking fire drills working at Target, my co-worker. And of course, the pussy AEW crowd that doesn't mind when wrestling looks fake because that's the way they think it's supposed to look because of the people that they like all look fake. They say, of course, it's more important to keep the wrestlers safe than it is to make this look real. And all the wrestling fans that think the opposite were saying the opposite. And they almost got to fist fights with each other on the goddamn, of course, you know, and I told Bryce what I thought. I said, well, here's the thing. Actually, Your fucking idiot boss is booking things to get the wrestlers paralyzed, and your fucking idiot wrestlers are having matches to paralyze themselves, so why shouldn't you fucking help them? And we we can, if you want to, we can discuss each point or all as a whole. Yes, it does show favoritism, and yes, it does make it look like it's a bunch of hoo-ha when the referees have to assist people. And a lot of the WWF fans came in and said, well, it doesn't happen there. And then all the AEW fans found pictures of the WWE referees holding the ladders also. Apparently it does happen there too. And a lot of them would say, well, then you just don't mind it when it happens in the WWE. That's not my opinion. I mind it when it happens anywhere because I think it's equally stupid. I think it was stupid to have this fucking match. I think it was stupid to put anybody in it. I think Tony Khan has lost the fucking plot. But yes, all those things can be true. It makes the business look fucking hokey. It does look goddamn like the the referees are helping someone or showing favoritism. It just looks Bush League in general for a national television program. And since the fucking tallest guy in the match could not reach the thing anyway on this fucking ladder, it was stupid of them to be holding something that they figured probably wasn't going to work. And we can talk about all these things if you want. And I will say this in the interest of full disclosure, and Brian, you know this well, The first time I ever saw a referee hold a ladder was the same time as the first time you ever saw it. When Tracy Smothers and Chris Candido were having a ladder match in, where was it, Chilhowee, Virginia, or someplace. It wasn't Pikeville? Wasn't the Bluegrass Brawl? 
Was it? Was it? A, no, they didn't have a. Did they have a ladder? That was the next. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Ladder match. Bluegrass. Wherever the fuck it was. The point is, almost nobody had had ladder matches at that point. We only had one ladder because we didn't know that the ladder would break. We were the ladder's metal. There's been like, I've seen three ladder matches, all of them involving Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, two at a house show and one at the fucking pay-per-view. And so we had one ladder. And when they got to the finish, the leg on the ladder snapped. So Hildebrand held it so that they could do their deal. And then we went and got a backup ladder whenever we did that again. And so, yes, in that case, I was guilty also. But now that everybody can't stop doing ladder matches, even though nobody's clamoring to see more of them and none of them make any sense and the stipulation is just thrown onto people without any reasoning for it, they've got a dozen fucking ladders. And so, but this thing, it, it, the referees are holding the ladder. Hobbs, the tallest guy in the match, goes up and can't reach the hook to get the fucking hemorrhoid pillow off of the hook or the deal without going to the very top step. Now you've got a six foot, what, three or four, whatever he is, 275 pound guy standing on the very top step of a broken ladder in a wrestling ring being held by five measly little white boy referees. With his hands over his head. With his hands over his head. And now he's stuck. Once he got the thing and the people cheered, now he realizes, I cannot get down. And you saw it on his face. And he's looking, he doesn't know what to do. And you see him look down at the referees, hold this fucking thing. And he looks, and he, and they're keeping a close-up of him, so it just looks like he's looking at his dick. They didn't want to shoot the referees, but it he he finally figured out a way to get a foot back onto the next level down where he could get some kind of balance. And when he got down to the second rung from the top where he could hold his hands out, the people gave him a round of applause for coming off the top of the ladder without killing himself. And then he's got relief on his face. So the guy they wanted to get over, they put in the worst kind of match to play to his strengths, stink up a national television program for 25 minutes with every jack-off outlaw guy in the fucking business doing every jack-off outlaw spot in the business. As I said, every indie wrestler's wet dream. And then, without even giving him time to glorify in it, Samoa Joe's on commentary, who's also a heel. Samoa Joe and Hobbs start to argue, but Wardlow comes out to yell at Samoa Joe and beats up eight security guards. And by the time that's over with you, what the, what are we even again? Who, how did we start here? Uh, but the big controversy on Twitter and on the internet was should the referees have been allowed to hold the ladder or not. And the answer to the controversy is they shouldn't even been put in that position because this match was an embarrassment. Beyond that, the actual unhinging of whatever the giant gold, I guess a giant brass ring, I forgot that's how stupid this is, at the top of the thing, at no point earlier in the day did anyone set up the ladder and see if anyone could reach it. Because like you said, he was the tallest guy in the match. He had to go to the very top 
put his hands above his head. He has, you know, give him credit. He must have great core strength. Good Lord. Because a lot of people, most people would have fallen off that fucking ladder. And after wrestling that match and not getting dizzy, looking up like that with both your feet together on a ladder in the middle of a fucking cavernous airplane hangar-like building, the vertigo, I mean... I mean, afterwards, it's amazing too. he did it. He yeah. sh- he should have gone back and beat the teetotal shit out of everybody involved in setting that match up. But they had a bigger ladder. But then you've got a 275 pound guy trying to climb a 15 foot ladder like he works for the fucking telephone company or some roofer or something. It's ridiculous. Just because you're a mark, a basement. What a neck-bearded mark of the worst. You're not a wrestling fan. You're a mark. And you think that ladder matches are what people are interested in seeing on a mainstream base, regardless of who's in them and what they're for. That's the... Tony has lost his fucking mind. He's lost the plot. And this television program, more than ever, shows it. They need a star. They need a baby face. They need some business. They need all, they need punk and they need some better wrestlers and they need a fucking booker. And it was obvious with all of this at one time that that those three things are, are very necessary at this point. And it can continue to fall to shit or they can recognize that and address some of it. Go ahead. It feels like AEW in a lot of ways is reverting back to a lot of the things that we saw in the early days of the show. When the crowd was hot, when people were really into the idea of the alternative, they put so much garbage on the TV show and on the pay-per-views. The legless boy. Battle royals, endless ladder matches, and they get tag team battle royals. Just all of these things, people everywhere. They're doing it again on their show, and that's the thing. You can kind of compare this to what we've seen in the past. It's just not resonating the same way anymore. Well, it's good. It wasn't any good the first time around. It was a bunch of indie darlings who weren't ready for television, but the people thought they were, and they were excited at what was going to come, and boy, everything's going to be great. And now three years later, they're trying to shove either the same exact people or the same concept of shit, the fucking Peter Avalons of the world and the legless boys and the fucking remember Jelly Nutella was on national TV for some reason at some point. They're trying to do that again with talent that's not ready for national television that doesn't look visually ready or is not ready experience wise or in some cases never will be ready. But now it's not like, oh, it's a brand new company and we hope for great things. They've seen what they've got for the last three years. And it started to look like some of the shit they were seeing a year and two years ago was a lot better than what they're seeing right now. So they're not reacting to the same gags from these, you know, comedy, cosplay, and nitwits that they were at the start. Because it's not all new and fresh, and it's exciting. It's now, wait, we're going back to this again after we had some steak for a while? Hmm. You know what? It's, It's what you eat, Brian. It's what you eat, it's what you consume, it's what you get used to, it's what you put in your gut. There are a lot of these things, a lot of these analogies that we could draw, but it it starts out with good gut health. 
I just it, I just said Powerhouse Hobbs must have incredible core strength. I got to think yes. to be up there. He's got guts, and he showed it. Boy, howdy, I'll tell you what he did. He's got the guts. And we're not talking blood and guts like Plumber Moxley. We're talking about good intestinal health. And we've talked about my colon, and we've talked about the way that people care for colons over the United Kingdom. You can care for your own colon without having to have other people coming in and out, bringing in equipment, possibly tracking up the carpet, making tracks in the mud, wherever that might be located. You don't want that kind of thing. You want to be able to do this yourself, yourself rather, or yourself. Stealthily. You want to be able to stealthily do it yourself so that no one knows that you're doing it. And the way you start with gut health, well, how, where do you start? Let me clarify this. Brian, did you know <laughs> that there are over 3.8 million posts on Instagram tagged hashtag gut health? Oh, no. Did you know that? I, I did not know that, no. Did you know that a staggering 653.7 million videos on TikTok or on gut health? I certainly didn't. How would I know that? I mean, where are we supposed to be getting these facts? I'll tell you in a second. Did you know that a quick Google search will yield you over 29.7 million news results about gut health, probiotics, and the microbiome phenomenon that's taken over conversation, headlines, and hashtags around the country and around the world. Were you aware of this? I wasn't, and I've had so many conversations about microbiome, so I don't know what I'm missing here. Well, that's because you haven't been talking to our friends over at Seed. See, I've gone to Seed, and I've talked to them, and I've asked them what's going on, because I really didn't understand it. I thought it was it was all gibberish, and basically... That's the uh, the material and the information that they gave me. They said discoveries in microbiome research are transforming medicine and hygiene and diet and the choices we make each day for our health. And with this new frontier, however, comes an overload of information and misinformation that can feel confusing and overwhelming. And then they gave me a bunch of information that left me confused and overwhelmed. So I'll tell you what, folks, don't even try to figure this shit out. Your gut and your immune system and the microbiomes and the pathogenic antigens and the benign substances and the whole nine yard, you ain't going to figure it out because you're just like me. You're just a layman. Hey, how often do you get laid, man? You're just a layman. You can't be expected to be conversant in all these highfalutin terms like intestinal permeability, which is also known as leaky gut, Ooh. and pathogenic microbes that promote dysbiosis. Also known oh, as the elite. Also known as the elite. Every time I see them on my television, my stomach turns and churns. So therefore, what you're trying to do is you're trying to support your gut immune access or axis, your gut immune axis, not the axis. If you take care of the axis, nobody will access your gut. Otherwise, they got to come in the back way. What Wait, you you got to prioritize your sleep? Yeah. You got to do that. Yes. Because your your body uh, it, it, your changes to your normal sleep rhythms induce what is known as circadian misalignment. 
And circadian misalignment is when you collect those fucking locusts and you don't have them all lined up straight. Well, then it screws up all of your collection. Uh, you put them next to your butterflies. You C- know, the cicadas? The, cic- the cicadas. No, you're talking about a completely different thing, Jim. This is it's nothing to do with oh. seed or gut health. Well, also, Although some people to- do eat locusts, I guess. Well, you, you can eat them, and some people think they taste like chicken. And you could also, you need to manage your stress, because that's where you can increase your intestinal permeability, a.k.a. leaky gut. It could just bust loose. You'll be leaking everywhere, on the carpet, fucking floor mats, goddamn, if, in the car. the And, you know, it's hard to get that leaky gut smell out. And increase your daily fiber intake. And we've been talking about this. I've been eating more fiber and more farber. And I haven't had a chance to eat old Faber yet, but I'm working on him. But certain fibers are fermented by gut microbes and biotransformed into short-chain fatty acids, which helps maintain immune health and regulate anti-inflammatory and antioxidant responses. Do you want to learn any more about this? No, you don't. I do. You don't need to learn a goddamn thing. You need to learn who to trust. And that's our friends at Seed. Because you could read this shit that they gave me from now till the cows come home, and you wouldn't know shit from apple butter about what they're talking about. Because they're smart people that have studied this, and they have also got scientific proof and or scientists behind this. And many of the scientists have approved this of their own free will. It's only a few of them that their families are being held just because they got a little cranky. But the scientists are behind this stuff, and so are the doctors, at least the ones that they've compensated. And we can now tell you that you will have good gut health and just a clean life all around, and your turds will smell better if you go to You can't guarantee that. You can't guarantee that. Don't say that. Well, I, it's a pretty good assumption, though. You it's don't know not that. guaranteed. Well, I've from from what I've been sniffing around, finding out. If you're making assumptions about turds, you're making an ass of you and me about turds. Well, I've gone to several different places around town and smelled the bathrooms, and I'll tell you, there is a distinct difference. How do you know who in the bathroom is using seed and who isn't? You wouldn't know. I'm dealing this shit part time. <laughs> So anyway, right now you go to seed.com. That's S-E-E-D.com. Oh, what? Wild card. Wild card, bitches. Seed.com slash Jim and use the code Jim. That's J-I-M. My name to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim. 20% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. What are the ways it will help you? I don't know. I can't read all these big words, but I'll tell you what, they got doctors and scientists working on this stuff, and if you can't trust them, well, who the hell can you trust? So right now, start the Daily Symbiotic to help your gut and your health and your stomach and your digestion and you won't leak rotten shit out your ass that'll ruin the upholstery of your car. Seed.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim, 20% off. Take this shit soon before it's too late. Well, speaking of going to Seed, let's pick up with Renee Moxley Good and see what she's doing this week on the program. She's in the back 
with the Puddin' Gang and Trent and Cupcake are both, or what's his name? Not Cup Muffin Top are both hurt. <laughs> you just went to a different pastry. Well, it, it, I, he's he's some kind of I don't know. They're uh, what's the cupcake or muffin top or croissant or whatever he is. He's hurt. They're hurt. They can't do the battle royal tonight. Scone, but Scone is hurt. But Danhausen volunteers himself, and, and now Pockets is sitting there. The doctor's checking him. He's being iced with ice bags. He's already wrestled, and Danhausen volunteers. Well, me and Pockets are best friends, so we can be in the Battle Royal. And Renee asks Pockets, are you okay? Can you wrestle? And he says, I don't care. And neither do we. And neither do we. <laughs> and again, if the ratings didn't already drop on the news of a potential second Pockets match, I believe they probably did there. And it keeps on coming because now Jericho's music hits. And he comes to the ring and we go to the break. I guess they thought, oh, Chris Jericho's coming to the ring. Let's see what's going to happen. Well, when we come back, pretty Peter Avalon. He's not very pretty, but he does look like a Peter. He's in the ring. Last week, he came out as a comedy spot and got knocked goofy and out cold with one Judas elbow. So now they book a match between Jericho and a Giant. So you know this is Jericho's book to get TV time. And he thinks because he sold for this fucking clown through the first two minutes of this three-minute match that somehow that he's made this guy look like something before he beat him or whatever. Well, he doesn't think that. He's made people believe that. He actually got himself 10 minutes of television time to work with a job guy and indulge his Jericho appreciators to beat up somebody else that, you know, stands a chance of getting over. Well, so that's what happened. And the match starts. Avalon didn't even get a fucking entrance. And he opens with a flurry of fake children's punches that come nowhere near Chris Jericho. Did you see that? I saw what he was trying to do. Yes. And then he, he can do a chop. He hit Jericho with some chops. Jericho bailed out the floor. So pretty Peter did a dive. He can dive, but he can't punch. And to the floor. And here's the thing. Chris Jericho is selling for this clown. If you were going to do something like this, and I can tell you why they didn't do it before I even say this, because it wouldn't benefit Chris Jericho in total. It would benefit someone else. but. You could have had somebody actually legitimate come out and try to answer the challenge last week and have Jericho wipe them out from behind and then make the match. And then people might have wanted to see it. But it was a clown spot with a job guy that's never used, never featured. If he does win, it's on YouTube somewhere. And who gives a fuck because he looks like a goddamn used condom. And you've got Chris Jericho, a former WWE champion out there selling for this fucking guy just so he can scratch up a few minutes of TV time to get his angle in. But meanwhile, Avalon, again, could use a Cheerio for a hula hoop. He could tread water in a garden hose. If he gets sunburned, he looks like a thermometer. Turn sideways, stick his tongue out, he looks like a zipper. Needs to run around in the shower to get wet. He's so skinny without his belt, his upper body would fall through his asshole. 
I could go on. But so did this match. And he was getting two counts on Jericho and making funny faces. And then finally Jericho hits the code breaker, one, two, three, and pins him. And then gets a baseball bat. And then, Brian, anytime you hit somebody with a baseball bat, the way you want to do it is grab one end by the 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 handle end in your right hand, and you want to cup the end of the baseball bat with your left hand. And you want to hit the guy on the point of the top of his head with it. Now, I used to do that sometimes with a tennis racket. If you want to get juice on somebody... But with a baseball bat in your hand, I believe you either need to just swing or don't use the fucking bat. Because what this did was go straight over the top of Avalon's head. It was obvious at regular speed, but in slow-mo, it was mind-blowing how far away the bat was from Pretty Peter's head. And Pretty Peter takes a huge bump. And referee Aubrey Edwards basically bails right after the three counts. So the guy's in the ring beating the other guy up allegedly with the baseball bat. She's out there going, nay, don't do that. Nay, don't do that. And so then Jericho hits Pretty Peter four more times with the bat. And each one of them looked obviously fake because he's hitting him as he's laying there. He hits him on the arm. So then Avalon raises the arm that just got hit with a baseball bat to beg, don't hit me again. <laughs> oh, my God. So then the music plays. Here comes Ricky Starks. And this was what Jericho wanted all along when he pitched this thing, besides being indulgent with himself. Was Jericho starts cutting a promo on Starks. Just because the Jericho appreciators aren't allowed Sunday doesn't mean they're not here tonight. And then, of course, Hager and Garcia jump fucking Starks, and they hold Starks so that Jericho gets the bat and then drops the bat to run over and hit fucking Starks with his Judas elbow that sometimes he hits, sometimes he doesn't. I guess he wanted to prove he could do it. So he dropped the bat to hit him with the elbow. Nobody came out and helped. A couple of referees came out and started pointing, and the heels left with their music when they were tired of committing crimes. Did I encapsulate that segment approximately correctly? I think so. I mean, when we said, look at what he's doing to Ricky Starks, the Jericho defenders would say, he's elevating Ricky Starks, and look at also what he's doing for Action Andretti. <clears throat> Here we are a couple months later. Has anyone come out of this? for the better. You know, a lot of people, I think, misinterpret my thoughts about Jericho. I don't think, like, he's someone I never want to see on my TV. He's useless. I only feel that about him acting out his own scripts. I think Chris Jericho has star power. I think Chris Jericho, when motivated, does great stuff. I think Chris Jericho is filled with horrible ideas. And the problem is... He's been allowed to run wild with all of his ideas. There are lots of people who were big stars in wrestling history who creatively couldn't cut it. It's not that they didn't have any ideas. They had some ideas. 
It's just they weren't Lots good. of ideas. It's just they we, weren't good. Well, some are good and some are bad, and they don't know which are which. I just, I mean, this is exactly, I mean, I don't know what to say anymore. This is exactly what we said was going to happen when he started working with Ricky Starks. Starks would mean less. It would be endless. For no good reason, it would be endless. And then we get stuff like this. The Action Andretti thing, which went nowhere. The guy hasn't even been on the show in weeks until he was in this ladder match where he almost broke his leg, it looked like, when he fell off the ladder onto another ladder. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what is... Oh, no, Jer- he didn't fall. He was pushed. <laughs> you know, what is Jericho doing? I mean, seriously, where's the value right now? Uh, Well, speaking of great value performers, we have uh, the discount... Kmart version of Stan Hansen, their own cowboy, Hangnail Page, who did a pre-tape with fairly rotten audio. Was was he in a barn or was he under an overpass out in the back of the building somewhere? It could have gone either way. But he's talking about Moxley and the Texas death match. And he says, I don't enjoy violence. I hate it. I hate it to its core. What the fuck? What cowboy? Ever I hate violence. I hate it to its core. This fucking pissy, nerdish, drooling, mushmouth, wannabe cowboy from just because he lives in Virginia where trees are doesn't mean he's the second coming of cowboy Bob Ellis for fuck's sake. And it this was every indie wrestler's pretend classic promo. It doesn't really connect with anybody. It doesn't give you the impression that this guy is real speaking from the heart and that he's a real cowboy or a real anything else. It makes him think that he sounds dramatic for the marks that are already going to enjoy whatever he does anyway. But the wrestling fans know this guy's horseshit. And he doesn't smell like horseshit because he's a cowboy. He's horseshit because he's phony. He's another one. He gets his feelings hurt, and he don't want to listen. Well, I didn't want to listen to this, but I did, and it didn't speak to me very much. And we now know that he hates violence to its core, so that's he's going to be in the Texas death match. Do you think Renee Moxley-Good thinks that she's Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters or why she keep being put in these positions where she asks the hard questions like, what's up with that? Uh, but she was in the ring with Christian Cage. And again, the professionalism level shoots through the roof. Remember There was a time about, what, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, when they let Christian speak on television for several weeks in a row as a heel. And we said, well, well, this is just great. I think that was the start of this current angle with Jungle Boy about two years ago, right? Well, he wasn't a heel then, but yeah, he started the thing with Jungle Boy a few years ago. I think a year ago is when he turned heel, approximately. Well, for a few years, or a few years, for a few weeks, he was doing good heel promos. And then suddenly that stopped happening. Well, now out here, here he is again. He's knocking the town. He's subtly adjusting Renee's microphone holding. Because here's a guy that actually knows how to do an in-ring interview and let the interviewer hold the microphone. And he even knows how to 
surreptitiously coach the interviewer on where to hold the fucking microphone. And the only unfortunate thing about this was he's still talking about Jungle Boy, but what, at least we're hearing Christian. And he gets heat, and he looks like a villain, and he has the demeanor and the attitude, and the he doesn't he doesn't put it over or get rattled when the fans chant "Shut the fuck up." He goes on because he's got great delivery and inflection. And, you know, he looks down his nose at people with that heelish demeanor. And he said, Jack, Jungle Boy Jack, you treat my business like a video game. I treat my business like an ATM machine. That was a great. And then, of course, he challenges Jungle Boy for a no rules fight at the pay-per-view. As opposed to what other fights do they have with any rules? But then, as he dug into Jungle Boy's father, and he was really cooking, and I was liking this, the lights go out and the tape comes on the screen of Jungle Boy digging a a grave, as we came to find out, is the shot of him digging a hole, and he's crying, and you see the the angle flashed before, the, the, the highlights of the angle where Christian's done this to him and that to him, and then it pans out and you see a tombstone with Christian Cage's name on it and Jungle Boy never spoke a word which is probably the best thing for him uh but then that was that was pretty much it there was uh, Christian just got interrupted the promo was great by Christian Cage I like the idea of digging a grave and the tombstone with the name on it the whole thing but does any is anybody scared of Jungle Boy is he not already proven to I mean, either by the booking or just by himself being himself. Yes, he's a feisty underdog, but his main event days, that ain't going to happen anymore. He's reached his ceiling on promo. He has good matches with guys that can lead him, but then he goes right back to the trampoline shit when he gets in with his friends. He has no bass in his voice. You know, what do you think? Eh, Can we get this done with so we can see Christian do something else? I just don't want to see any more of this. Well, speaking of not seeing any more of this, I bet you I know we're not going to see a rematch between Matt Hardy and Hook anytime in the near future. How did they think this was going to... Besides the fact that it's the go-home show for the pay-per-view that they've got in the same town, and they decide to put a match for the FTW title. Remember... Hook's father's belt that he is allowed to be used, that they still have not explained why it would be recognized in this company, but it's another belt and it's purdy and Tony likes those shiny things. But who thought that Hook versus Matt, for either guy, Hook versus Matt Hardy, was not going to be a clash of styles, was going to be a good idea to do on television live. I, 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 and that was their nine o'clock entrance. Matt Hardy at this day and age. Go ahead. It's better than what I feared it was going to be. When I heard that music, I was afraid Jeff was going to run out there. I forgot that this was the match. I was just, I heard the music. I was like, oh my God, Jeff Hardy's about to run out there. But then it was Matt and this thing. I'm, I'm not even knocking either guy at this point, but Hook's size illusion is gone because Matt looks like Lex Luger next to Hook. The guys that he's been working with that can take all of his throws and 
and everything have either been very thin or Matt Hardy's goddamn gaining a lot of weight. But the size illusion is gone. Uh, within seconds, Paige, because the other Paige is out at ringside with Stokely and Lee Moriarty, and they've stopped Hook and got heat. And, but uh, started heat rather. But suddenly, within seconds after that, Hook just picked Matt up and suplexed him and threw some punches, but then Matt just stopped him. And it got awkward because, again, Hook is green, and now we know that. They've kept it short and with people that could take his throws and he could do these things with. I'm not saying Matt Hardy can't work, but Matt Hardy can't do that shit. And Hook can't do the other shit yet because we know that now because he tried. It got awkward. They got off footwork. They had a double knockout. Then both were down. And then Stokely, who knocked out whoever it was earlier in the show with his cast, Stokely takes his cast off and gives it to the other page, who then hits, barely hits Hook in the head with it. And they use that as a false finish for a two count in this rotten match that is not going well. And it's not that I think, well, Stokely should have kept the cast on because his arm's broken. No, that's the whole idea is the manager's crying over a fake broken arm. Why did he have to take the cast off and hand it to somebody else? Why did they need to, after they've established the cast in Seg 2, why did they need to kill the cast in Seg 7? And now this guy got hit with it for a two count. What the fuck? And then Matt went for the twist of fate. And Hook went behind him and got the choke, and Matt tapped immediately before he'd ever even left his feet. And it... Awkward! Anything else you want to cast light on, I don't know what to say. Maybe we understand a little better why Hook has been mostly kept a rampage, it seems like. Well, but no, he's looked good when with what they've done with him so far, which is... <laughs> Again, put him with somebody who can take his throws on and Rampage. doesn't make him look like a child. He's done it on Dynamite, too. But this is the first time he's had a singles match on Dynamite in, I think, a while. This is who they put him in there with? Again, if yes. you're the booker, if you're the matchmaker, whatever, how would you think this would end up being a good match in any way? If you close your eyes and think of this match, how could you think this would end up being okay? Because, well, I can tell you, because the difference between a Mark Booker and a professional Booker is a Mark Booker writes guys' names down against each other and imagines the match he wants them to have. Whereas a professional Booker, when he writes two guys' names down against each other, he can envision the match that they're actually going to have. And then decide whether he wants to see that or not. And there's a big difference in guys having the match you think that you want them to have and guys having the match that they will actually have. And you need to be able to figure out that difference. But then the House of Black were in the dark with the belts and rattled off a bunch of nonsense. And I wish they would put Julia Hart with anybody else so we could like her. Are we now being led to believe that this spooky place where they do their promos is just backstage? 
Well, it must be because they were out there just a little the while ago. Yeah, I mean, the fact they had the belts with them, unless they ran to a studio that they had nearby or a truck, that means they're filming all their spooky things with the smoke just in one of the rooms backstage. Yeah, well, it seems like then if that was the case, that all that uh, Kenny and the Buckaroos would have had to do would be to look Storm in the, the dressing room with room? smoke coming under the fucking and then just bust into that door <laughs> and take their belts back. Yeah, it works out well for them when they do that. Absolutely. And they'd have practice by now. So maybe they wouldn't go in all the flutter and get taken down. Anyway. Julia could sit on the couch and hold the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the dog's in the next match because it was Tony Storm versus Riho. Oh, be nice. Be nice. She's back. No, I'm going to be nice to Riho this week. Because it's not her fault. And we kid her and we joke and et cetera. And it is embarrassing to look at her on a wrestling program, but it's not her fault. This is the contribution that O'Kenny has made. The go-home television show on TBS cable for a pay-per-view, and we're looking at a buck-toothed 90-pound girl that they've convinced that she's a wrestler. It's not her fault. It's not her fault that she looks like the poor, timid, mousy little Talia Shire character if she was from Tokyo running that pet store. What has happened here is the influence of Twinkle Toes. Because him, and uh, they've got a weird cultural thing in Japan over little girls in frilly outfits singing or trying to be wrestlers or whatever it else is that they have them do over there, right? And Kenny, who we've established as the world's preeminent basement-dwelling weeb and the rest of the anybody-can-play crowd that hangs around with him have convinced this girl and others like her over there with the, the the children that get trained so they can have sweaty, supposed adult men gripping them in various parts of their bodies. They've convinced this girl and others like her that she is a wrestler, she can be a wrestler, she should be a wrestler, and he truly believes somehow, either that or it was just a ploy to get her over to his house, but he truly believes that this nonsense will somehow get over on any reputable level to make any kind of money in the United States of America or anywhere else outside Japan. Because he's supposedly a wrestler, she believes him. It's not her fault, it's his and others like him putting the idea in this girl's head that she should do this. Because everybody can play. And also because of the weird fetish fucking situation that nobody but me is willing to fucking bring up. And go, what is the other reasoning or impetus or motivation to put this little small mousy 90-pound girl in a professional wrestling ring and allow her to do wrestling moves? To nobody's entertainment except Kenny and the fucking weirdos that get into the weird shit that he gets into. And at least they won't actually let him 
wrestle these women here on television like he does in Japan, even when they're nine years old. But he still has the power to put this shit on our television because Tony's an idiot. So this took however many minutes of TV time, including a break, made Tony Storm look like shit that she's got to sell for this. And then Britt Baker distracts Tony Storm and Riho wins again. They, it, it wasn't enough of two years ago. She's the women's champ. That's why the women's roster has been dreck since the start. Because it got off on that foot. And then Baker and Hater fight Storm and Soraya, which was pathetic, and Riho disappeared. And then Ruby Soho ran in and beat up Soraya and Hater, who were on two different fucking sides. And then the security and the referees come in for a pull-apart. Now, when Chris Jericho was beating a man up with a baseball bat 20 minutes ago, nobody fucking showed up to do a goddamn thing. But when girls are fighting, there was 11 men in there trying to break them up. Yeah. I'm going to look at it the other way. I'm going to attack the booking once again. Rio was their first champion. Riho, despite people like you and me, although I don't have the problem that you have with her, I do think it's ridiculous. And we've said things, and other fans have thought the same thing, and AEW went with her. And a lot of their fans seemed to like her. And then she lost the belt, and she disappeared, and who knows, maybe there were days she couldn't get out of Kenny's place in Florida. Who knows? But gets fogged in there a lot. We haven't seen her on TV in as long as I can remember. You mean to tell me your first women's champion, who you would think would be a big star, former world champion, just randomly shows up on your show with a couple days, oh, here she is. She was on here, she was on Rampage, she had a big match with Emi Sakura. Oh, huge. Even I'm not a fan of the AEW women's division, even if you are. This is how you use Rio? She just shows up the week of the pay-per-view? When she's not even on the pay-per-view? <clears throat> to pin Tony Storm? Uh, well, she might be. She might say, well, Tony, can I be on the paper? Of course you can be on I the paper. I don't know if she's allowed to talk directly to Tony. She may have to go through Kenny. Her name is Riho, and she don't weigh 90 pounds. All right, coming up next, Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes. What a tag team. I guess they're going to do something on a Friday show that nobody watches, but what the fuck is with Keith Lee and his whisper singing? It was even more prominent. Here, it's almost like, it, it, well, he came out and said in an interview, not on television, but an actual legitimate interview, that the WWE didn't like his promos. I obviously understand why, and it's almost like he's trying to do more of the shit that they didn't like to spite them, and it sounds ridiculous. Just fucking ridiculous. What did he say here, or do you remember? I don't remember much, but I did watch the match on Rampage, because as we are recording, that aired last night, and I decided because it was live, I was going to try to watch some of it. I couldn't watch the whole thing. They chased me off, but there were different things I saw. Keith Lee, and I actually think this works for him, no longer using hair dye. So the very what? closely cropped hair he has on his head is now gray. What? And the facial hair is I didn't gray. know how old is he. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Wait, didn't we say he's late 30s? 
There are people who I knew a kid who went gray in his early twenties. Well, yeah. but he he shouldn't have spent that night in the haunted house. But <laughs> but well, what the does it? Okay, so now he looks better because he's gray headed. It just looks more. I don't know. It looks more real. I guess. I don't know why he all well, of a sudden yeah. is. Boy, like, look at that! Look at that real guy over on wrestling. He's he's fat and he's gray headed and he well, talks like Fraser Crane. But boy, I I believe he's real. Well, you forget that he's also now walking out to the ring like a druid. He has a giant robe on. But let's get oh, past boy. that. I watched some of that match. It was Dustin and Keith Lee versus Swerve and Parker. You got to see how bad Parker is in the ring. This guy is not anywhere near ready uh. to be on a live television show. Swerve. Swerve had that big segment with Rick Ross, which was <laughs> a joke. But Future legend. Young legend. Well, they gave it a lot of time. The segment was a legend. They gave it a lot of time on there. Apparently, Swerve, we had heard and we had seen in the results, is someone that, for whatever reason, his segments moved the ratings up. Since that Rick Ross thing, how many times has he actually been on Dynamite? How many times has Keith Lee been on Dynamite? Rick Ross, I know the answer. He hasn't been on anything again. Has anything been followed up on the program where anything happened? And this is an example of a lot of things in AEW. Something happens on Dynamite, and we're supposed to follow it even when it stops happening on the show it happened on. Or something happens on some other show they have, either Rampage, which no one watches, or the YouTube stuff. And we're supposed to know what it is by the time it gets mentioned on TV. It doesn't make any sense. This Swerve and Keith Lee stuff, you have no idea what was going on here. This was one of the biggest things on their show like a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah, it was a big motherfucker. They were the World Tag Team Champions. They broke up. Have we had a singles match? Of course not. <sighs> well, but we've got a 10-team I guess there were 10 teams. I quit counting. Casino Battle Royal, just like last week, we had a tag team battle royal. Now we've got a casino tag team battle royal. And instead of all starting at the same time, they're going to come in intermittently because there was no rhyme or reason to the time. Some of them were three minutes plus commercial breaks. Some of them were a minute and a half because they did the spot early. It was just a bunch of shit being run in. but. They started this match on this program with Claudio and O'Wheeler Useless attacking the Dork Order in the Owlway. So again, now, you know, the BBC switched heel because of Moxley without really doing anything, and now they're just attacking other baby faces. And they get in a four-way fight, and we go to the break. And then they come back from the break, and those two teams are still fighting in the ring but within 10 seconds here comes rush and preston vance remember him and it already got sloppy and poor claudio remember we wow you know claudio may finally go to a place where they'll he's a great worker and a great guy if somebody needs to be used just because they're a nice guy he's so accomplished and so believable and he's strong and he's got size and so now he's just the guy in the group you never hear speak, and he's, the Ring he's of Honor in multiple World man matches. Isn't he the Ring of Honor World Champion? Is he? That's the point. I forgot. Yeah. Well, he's the invisible man on this program, but Penhouse and Felix came in, did a choreographed comeback, 
The announcer started talking about Cow Palace history, and Tony mentioned Pepper Gomez like he was speaking Swahili and had never heard the name before. Somebody fed him the name Pepper Gomez. Um, Shivani's awful. He shouldn't be on commentary. Well, but no, but I mean... More people need to be saying it because everyone knows it. I would have thought certainly Tony would have known who Pepper Gomez was, but they were talking about... What the hell does he know about San Francisco wrestling history? Tony Shivani. Well, he should. Uh, but they were talking about as they Ray Stevens and Roy Shire and the glory days of big time wrestling in the Cow Palace. I'm thinking, and my God, every single one of those people now would hit the ring with a fucking stick after you people. So Ozzy Oldham was the next team in, and now it was crowded and sloppy. Uh, the BBC dumped the dorks. They went through another break. They come back within 10 seconds. There's top flight, so we get some cheerleading and tumbling. And then I read Daddy Mac from the Jericho Appreciators got dumped, and then I realized he and Cool Hand Luke were in this. And then here came Matt Taven and Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis, the best tag team in wrestling that we never see. They look great. She looks great. They can both work. They look like athletes. They've got physiques. And they came in and looked great for 30 seconds and then got stopped by the Aussies. With German suplexes in a battle royal, even Taz mentioned kind of joking, you know, chuckling at their greenness that, well, you don't see that often. That's kind of dangerous. And you don't German suplex people in a battle royal in a room full or ring full of fucking people. You break somebody's leg. Uh, But then. Arya Davari and Tony Nese and Josh Woods and Mark Sterling, none of whom are in this match, attacked Felix and Penthouse with incredible amounts of fake punches and dangerous bumps on the floor. So they're determined to hurt each other while not hurting each other at the same time. The punches came nowhere near and were fucking embarrassing, but they really took bumps on the floor that could hurt themselves. And then they threw him back in the ring and left. So then Rush picked Felix up and threw him out. And the referees were watching all this. Why didn't they do anything? Battle Royal. No disqualification. Lazy booking. No rules. That's why people get disgusted. That's why people scoff at wrestling. Because there is no, there in these modern situations, there are no rules. Anybody can do anything, and if a person's not predisposed to be a fan of wrestling, they can pick all this shit out just like we can and say, look at that, that's why it's a bunch of shit. Who gives a shit? How could this ever happen? Because they're not smart enough to think of ways to get where they want to go without just doing stupid shit. So speaking of stupid shit, Vance jumped over the top rope and eliminated himself. Another guy ducked. He was still about 10 feet away, but he just kept going. And then it's been forever while they did all this stuff and no teams have come in. So I thought we were done, but then no music plays and it's Dan Housen and pockets. And they get in and do nothing. And then the butcher and the baker are out after about a minute, not even. So somebody's loose with the stopwatch. And then, again, the best tag team in this match, Bennett and Taven, that you never get to see on television, 
They had 30 seconds to shine when they got in. Then they both accidentally super kick Maria and get eliminated at the same time. So we we get 30 seconds of them. We never see them on TV to begin with. They fuck up. The manager gets bumped and they lose. Jesus H. Fucking Christ. Then there was some more bullshit with the amateurs and the indie darlings, and it got down to Butcher and Baker and Pockets and Danhausen. So now, again, how much bigger of a joke can this be for a tag team title match? And the guns come out stage to watch them. And then Danhausen comes up from behind Butcher and Baker when they've got Pockets and dump them. So Pockets and Danhausen win this thing. So now the pay-per-view match is a joke for their top tag team title of several. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, here comes Lethal and Jarrett, and they attack Pockets and Danhausen and beat them up, but the acclaimed hit the ring and run Jeff and Jay off. And this was 25 minutes of TV time to stink the joint out and make a joke out of the tag team title match. And I, I don't know what to fucking say again, again, they need talent. They need stars. They need continuity. They need booking. And this even punk, punk was great for having the top segment and anything he was in made sense. And he had apparently some influence but a lot of the rest of the shows was still bad even with him so yes they need a top baby face which everybody including uncle dave has said and they need star power and they need good programming but is is he's only one man yeah is he allowed to staff each division I mean, that's well, the issue. We I, prefer even... the, I prefer the Young Bucks book tag team division than whatever we've been getting for the last few months. And boy, that's a kick in the pants. Seriously. And I like the acclaimed. And I was happy when they got over. And that match in Chicago, we will all remember. But since that time, FTR has been out of the division. The Bucks are out of the division. When the Bucks booked the division, at least they were... I don't know. The teams weren't jerk-off, complete jerk-off teams like right now. What was this match? And the end result is Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. This is a horrible tag team division right now. Even if FTR were there, who are they supposed to work with? Well, that's what I'm saying. You get, if, even if you get down on your knees and give him whatever he needs to come back and eliminate the problem with star power to punk, you still need FTR. You still need some new quality talent and you need to get a lot of these weeds away so you could see them if they're there because some of them are there Bennett and Taven we haven't seen dick of them nothing but we but we're looking at these fucking miscellaneous luchadors and goofy masked people and the goddamn house of black every time we turn around uh, anyway to close this program up, and then we'll look at the ratings and determine what's gone on. They had been building all night to, you know, MJF and Danielson. We're going to hear from Danielson. They did a package on MJF and Danielson leading up to the title match. And this is sometimes the highlight of the WWE programming. 
But uh, honest to God, I mean, yes, Sockface was a talking head and he looks ridiculous and brings the whole thing down to an indie level. But I don't know, besides the fact they had nice footage of Danielson in the mountains, as I'm watching this package and hearing it from their own lips, I don't know that this whole story between these two guys has clicked and that that's what I've been saying for weeks. It not only has the story not clicked, I don't think they've clicked. And I don't think this, I don't think this has worked for Danielson. Danielson coming out there acting like a little bully on the mic, I believed. Whatever's been going on with Danielson for the last several months and including, and especially with the MJF feud is not clicked at all. This is not the way to use them. And this has not worked. And, and he's, and really he's not good in it. He hasn't been. We have to say that. Brian Danielson has not been good in the outside of the ring stuff to elevate this feud. It's been all MJF, and maybe that's why he's overdoing it at times with some of the things he's talking about. Yeah. And there's no story that the story doesn't really click with you because, oh, wait a minute. MJF hates Danielson. One of the lines that was, I hate you because you've had more concussions than anybody else in my sport. But you're still here. I don't. I, Why would you hate him for that? I I know it's there somewhere, but it hasn't come out. It's it's too it's too cloudy or whatever. It's not clear. Magic Eight Ball says try again. I don't fucking know. But this it I, they booked a match that the absolute markiest mark audience not the fans i don't call all fans marks i call the people that buy the trampoline shit marks and the people that book for the people who like the trampoline shit they booked a match that the trampoline gang will love oh they've got to go 60 minutes and most falls and it's iron man and it'll be so technically brilliant with danielson and blah 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 you got to sell the goddamn thing first instead of putting together a mark stipulation that the markiest of marks will want to see. This should have been highly personal with MJF not doing the baby faces work for him, for him and taking heat off himself with talking about how he got broke up with his girlfriend. You ought to be talking about how he's got three of them and none of them know the other one exists and he's fucking them all. The way you get normal men to be jealous of you instead of people whose pussy is not a fucking option to begin with. It just, I don't know. But anyway, after the foot, after the package, they went to the break with eight minutes left in the show. They've got to do a three minute commercial break, come back with five minutes left, and we're, we're going to hang around for this big happening that they only gave five minutes to. And when they come back, Danielson's already in, entering the ring because you can tell they were running late. And Renee's inter, introducing him while he's on the fly. And he's got his own microphone because, again, I hate to say it, but Brian is one of the modern group that thinks he should be in there emoting with his own microphone instead of being interviewed by the network sports analyst. But nevertheless, they're calling Renee Moxley good a sports analyst. So I digress. He starts his promo and MJF music plays and MJF comes out and Danielson says, shut up. And then goes off on MJF and all the reasons supposedly that MJF hates him. 
But now at least he brought a little clarity to that in saying, you hate that I have these things and you don't because I've earned them and you've done nothing to earn them. At the last minute, he's trying to speak to normal, logical adult people who don't haven't understood what the fuck's going on up till now. And he did a nice tell-off of MJF, and, and MJF for once just stood there and took it, and then right as Danielson spoke his last word, my DVR froze because it was fucking 10 o'clock. Time to go. And they went. But that was the go-home... E, this is going to be an interesting situation this weekend that we're going to be covering on the drive-through in terms of this one-hour match. A one-hour yeah. match. What has led you to want to see these two guys? Maybe it'll be a classic. I hope it is. And they're both excellent in the ring. Maybe it will be. But in terms of the week-to-week buildup, in terms of this feud, there's nothing that is set up a desire to see these guys in a one-hour Iron Man match. I want to see them have a match, kick the shit out of each other for 12 minutes, because it seems like they both have some kind of anger issue directed yes. at the other one. But Animosity. A one, but a one-hour Iron Man match? What has been done in this to make the audience want to see that? And uh, some people are going to say, well, what was it about the NWA world title that all those bookers booked one-hour draws. The answer was simple. It was a match that was advertised as a match. It wasn't advertised as a match that had to go a certain amount of time or that there was whatever the case. And the deal was, and I'm going to give you an example in a second of modern day, but the deal was that when the traveling champion came to a territory, you didn't want him in most cases to beat your top baby face. And if you if he did beat the top baby face, chances are it would be with a fuck finish of some kind, holding the tights or some illegal means to give the baby face an out because he had to come back the next week. The champion was off to another place. And sometimes the champion, yes, especially during the Sam Muchnick days, would win, especially win in the end. But if you wanted to get multiple matches out of it, you would do a draw so they could come back with a 90-minute time limit, or you would do a draw just so the babyface wasn't embarrassed by being beaten or even fucked in his hometown, the fans thought, well, the next time maybe he could really beat the champion because the champion couldn't beat him this time, that type of thing. But this is the our Broadway NWA title match got romanticized by the modern wrestlers as some kind of badge of honor of being able to do that. There were NWA champions you didn't necessarily want to see go 60 minutes, but they had to, but it would have been better if they hadn't. Well, now these days you don't have to. There's more options. But the romantization amongst the wrestlers and the really hardcore fans of they went an hour, it's like a rite of passage, and they've come up with different ways to do it, but Again, sometimes you have an arena that or a match that needs a stadium. Sometimes you have a stadium that needs a match. And and a lot of times these days, instead of a match that needs a stipulation, you got a stipulation that needs a match. Figure the stipulation first, then put the match together, and that's backwards. And I think that back in two thousand 
nine in Ring of Honor when Adam Pierce was the booker. Yeah, I think it was it was Tyler Black and Austin Aries, and he said whatever they had done, he didn't want to switch the belt, but he didn't want to beat. I think at the time Aries was no Black was champion and Aries was challenging. I believe he didn't want to switch the title. He didn't want to beat either guy right then. It was Christmas final battle in New York, and uh, he. He asked me, he said, what do you think? Can can they, should we do an hour Broadway? I said, well, can they go an hour Broadway? And it was Tyler Black and Austin Aries to say what you want about Aries, but he was a good performer. He said, I think they can do it. I said, well, then my advice is do it. Then if you don't want to switch the belt, you don't want to beat the other guy. Yes, do an hour Broadway, but make sure that everybody on the card knows that you're doing an hour at the end so they don't go out there and go all night like they do a lot of times because then the New York fans especially will turn on the goddamn match because they've been there for too long already and they want to get to the meat of the matter. So keep the undercard matches short. Well, guess what happened? Not only did they not the undercard matches not listen to Adam and stick to their times, but that's one of those times that Teddy Hart and Jack Evans and that fucking crew had got sideways somewhere, who knows, at a crack house or whatever the fuck, and came in late, and he told them that they were, had missed their match, so they went out and did some kind of routine where they took a bunch of bumps anyway, and then it started snowing. And so now the show had gone long, and it's snowing outside in New York, and a lot of these people, because it's New York, they use public transportation. And they're wanting to get the fuck out of there. And then Aries and Tyler Black are going an hour. So if they do the same thing, I'm not going to say it's going to snow in San Francisco. But if they do the the what they always do, and Tony lets all these jack-offs masturbate to themselves and indulge themselves with these 30-minute marathons, and then they put an hour match in the ring at 11 o'clock local time, it might not work out. And they got to be aware of that. Well, Jim, another banner episode of AEW Dynamite. Before we get to the ratings, I got to ask you, what do you think of this show and specifically the last couple of episodes and this show as lead-ins and the go-home show to this pay-per-view event? You know, well, they're not focused in any way on a normal basis, but in this case... They're not focused on, I don't know what, it's the old Sputnik Monroe story when all the guys in the Memphis locker room and Jarrett and they're all sitting there going, you know, we just don't understand these pafos, the outlaws that are fucking with us, you know, and Jerry said, I just don't understand how stupid people think. And then Sputnik jumped up and said, well, hell, Jerry, I'll tell you how they think. And then realized what he'd done and sat back down. I don't know what Tony's thinking. But there is a unique situation here with both of these companies. Before we even go into the AEW ratings, before we even go into talking about the WWE television, both companies have created the market for the other company. Because as as when we talk about, ever talk about the WWE programs, we say, well, they'll talk you to death. They'll talk you the entrances. They'll talk you these long, dramatic 
you know, theater in the round promos in the ring. They'll talk you on the packages in the backstage. And when they do get to a match, you know, they'll give you a minute and a half, they'll go to the break, or in the case of Raw's three hours, they'll give you the same fucking teams, the same guys endlessly in the first segment. So the you know, you get your fill of them for the month and one night. But the matches have become secondary, less important, and also they all look the same, and because so many of the guys have such either ridiculous personas act in these unnatural ways or are being made to be thespians uh that you you tune out and it's all the same kind of sounding shit except for the top guys and that's why the bloodline story has gotten so over and that's why the guys like Sammy and Owens who can talk and Cody they can, they fit in that environment but they can talk and produce in the ring and so therefore they stand out Brock cuz he's real but the 170 whatever other people on the roster are often interchangeable and it doesn't have to be that way but they've created the environment where yeah every once in a while we'll break out into a match and it'll be professionally done for the most part instead if 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 flop dollars not involved because they're all highly trained but you're not that interested and in the other company they don't talk you to death because most of these guys are afraid to stand in front of a fucking microphone and a camera because they've spent their entire careers doing it in a goddamn locker room in front of a VHS or a camera or somebody's phone or in their basement. So they don't like to talk. That's why the guys that can talk in AEW get over strong and also because in AEW they're allowed to be more of themselves because while Tony apparently micromanages this goddamn fantasy universe of action figure booking he's got going on he'll let the guys talk like themselves and that benefits the small percentage that can talk it it handicaps the others that need fucking direction the matches that their fans they love the matches because wwe's boring as fucking watching piss dry but the matches are goddamn chaos constantly with no rules, no parameters, no meaning, no logic. It doesn't register. It's just people that like to watch car crashes. And it fucking flies by you, and the injury rate is through the roof. And it's every indie wrestler's wet dream to go and do stuff like that on TV. And there's a reason why most of them are, were never allowed to before. But you never know what you're going to see on AEW television. Whereas in the booking in the WWE, it's predictable, You except for the bloodline, which is why it's over. You pretty much know what's going to happen, where they're going, the format of the show. Well, we know that somebody's going to walk out here, and then they're going to have a match, and a blah, 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 because it's the same, same, same. AEW, the booking, you never know what's going to happen, because it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just pulled out of a hat. That's one of the problems. I mean... There are a lot of problems, but I think this is one of the deepest problems. Tony truly believes that his stories connect, that these programs, these feuds, the ins and outs of them are connecting with people. And last week's rating, as we said earlier, gave him, I think, a false boost <laughs> in believing that when it was clear it was a fluke rating. But when the booker truly believes that their stuff is really good and it's not, 
and there's no one there that's going to say that to him because he's not going to want to hear it. He's not going to believe it. It's a tough situation to be in. You know, no matter who you want to imagine is there that could talk to Tony Khan, that's a bad conversation. Because who's going to say, Tony, look, I really like you. I care about you. I consider you a friend. This is not going well right now. You need to step back and be the executive producer, but let someone else handle the actual television booking. He's going to get very defensive. He's going to point to various websites and message boards that love what he's doing. And he's going to try to justify his booking. And he owns the company. So it's a very tricky situation going okay, forward. Okay, hold on. They're three and a half years in, right? Uh, give or take, yeah. 2019. 2019, yeah. Yeah, okay. So in another three and a half years, let's say at the, the seven-year itch, if somebody, if, if, if Tony keeps a aneurysm free for another three and a half years, then at seven years, would he entertain the idea of somebody coming to him and say, Tony, now it's been seven fucking years. Rod Serling didn't write every episode of The Twilight Zone. What are you trying to fucking prove it? What, what is the cutoff date? When do, would Tony say, okay, at, at, at this, the, even the quantity, just if nobody is looking at the quality or lack thereof or adjudicating same, just the quantity of what Tony Khan would have booked in terms of hours of television and the fucking YouTube and the dark and the pay-per-view and the battle of the belts and the chase to cat that ate the rat. If somebody said after five years, six years, seven years, ten years, how long does he expect to do that before somebody said, you know, Tony? Fucking hell, Shakespeare didn't write this much. Somebody at some point is going to have to take over this. And so you just wonder when it'll be for him. Whenever the, What is his blood pressure currently? We could have a pool on the blood pressure. Go ahead. And we don't know where he'll be in seven years. Will things get crazier <laughs> with the football team, with the soccer team? Will he have a family of his own? You know what I mean? Like there's lots of things that happen in these years that would make the schedule even crazier he knows wrestling history jared and lawler it made sense for them both mentally to switch on and off as booker would you say well, that's and, correct well yes and also and bill dundee got in that rotation right and and again but think about this if you just want to use that as an example jerry jarrett was booking his company in 77 from the time he started it until I think Lawler had some input starting in, especially in his programs, starting at the same time and maybe a little bit more in 78. But really, Jared handed off after a year and a half or two years to, I know a year and a half to Robert Fuller for a few months. That didn't work out. Jared took it back. And then after such and such, I think maybe was it another year and a half? I think that's the first time Dundee got involved. And then Dundee had nine months, and then there was a power play or a year, and there was power play with Lawler. Lawler got it back, and then they switch. They, but the point is, Bill Watts, Eddie Graham, name great bookers throughout history. Nobody did not only everything every week for uninterrupted periods of three, four, five, six years. Can you think of anyone? Even even Roy Shire who was somewhat of the control freak that an uncouth Bill Watts, if that's possible, he did everything 
but still had people helping him in the form of Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson with ideas and things like that. And, and it that's was with simpler. less TV and the need for less angles yeah. and no big pay-per-views. So, I mean, it was a completely exactly. different system. They wouldn't burn out as fast. But, but no, I mean, so it's not like that, that great bookers, you know, just did this for unlimited amounts of time steadily. They went here and back and forth. And Jared had that flurry in, in, uh, of course, he booked Memphis for years before that, but that was the the town. It, it, he was not the promoter, Nick and Roy, and there he didn't have as many responsibilities. And then there was a period there for a while, as we talked about, where he was booking Atlanta and Memphis. But he he that was a period of a year and a half or whatever. He couldn't keep that up indefinitely. Ole Anderson was in a simpler time again, was booking in Georgia and the Carolinas at one point at the same time, but not for fucking years. So and not anyway. necessarily well <laughs> at all times, too. Well, you know, back in the 70s, everything did. See, that's the thing. When he Only booked both the, at the same time, I'm talking about. It, well, no, you're thinking about the 80s. There's yeah. periods in the 70s that it, it did do well. It, it, see, that's the thing. Only did well until he didn't do well. People forget that and... In the seventies, that's when he was actually at his best, and and that's maybe that's another example. Just because you can do shit for ten or fifteen years doesn't mean you can do it for another ten or fifteen. See, the thing is, Tony has Ring of Honor, and he should probably go book that and do what he can to really help that right now. Be the executive producer of AEW. I know he loves having all of his roles put out there in every press release: the GM and the creative director <laughs> and the owner and the founder and this and that. Be the executive producer of AEW. Not saying step back from everything, but don't run TV and don't have anything to do with creative. Give it six months. Give it a year. Now, the issue is who you hand it off to. There are no easy answers there, and I don't think a committee would make any sense, even though AEW in a lot of ways has been pitching to Tony by committee. So I don't know who that person yeah, is, but, but the, the, when the, the committee pitches, the the funnel is very important where it all drips down in the same bottle and, and Tony's got a bunch of holes in his funnel. All right, but having said that, the point I was going to make there, and now we'll go on to the original topic, was each one of these companies, as I illustrated with just some of the differences, has created the market for each other. AEW is the people who say, fuck the WWE, it's boring, there's no car crashes, there's no silly indie-rific characters, and there's no goddamn action. At least over here, there's action. It's just all unprofessional and fucking chaotic, but there's action. And the other, the WWE fans, actually, I don't know that AEW created them otherwise than maybe ran them back off when a few of them sampled the taste of the menu because Punk was involved. But they, obviously, the WWE fans want to see the stars that they perceive to be stars and the big production and the stadiums and the glory and the glamour and the glitz. And they look at, the you know roster over on the other side is well, what these are kids or fucking what is this like the B League or D team or whatever? So I don't know what to tell you. Let's what? So here's the big question. After we spent so much time discussing that woeful program and milking what the numbers were going to be, we now I believe Brian Last, you have the numbers. 
That's that's the drum roll I got there. That sucked, but yes, indeed. Wait a minute. We Hold have on. Do I have another drum? Hold on. Please. There we go. Ta-da! 833,000 viewers this week for AEW Dynamite, March 1st. Ouch. And that was down what from last week? Oh, last week was a million average, wasn't it? A, a little, uh, just a few over a million, so down about 175,000 or whatever. But quarter by quarter, where did we stand? Well, these were compiled by Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. 8 to 8.15 p.m., Orange Cassidy versus Big Bill <laughs> with picture in picture, 948,000 viewers. Ooh, so they were down at the start. I wonder, you know what? Oh, Brandon, he ought to start giving us the last quarter hour of the Big Bang so we know where we started. I'd also like to see the next quarter hour after the show ends for all these shows. That'd be interesting, too. Well, we, we soon will because they'll have that, too, with their reality program. Quarter two, 8.15 to 8.30 p.m., the finish of Orange Cassidy versus Big Bill, John Moxley's backstage promo, and the beginning of the Face of the Revolution ladder match, 892,000 viewers. Ouch. So Pockets managed to lose them 56,000 people in the first 15 minutes. Well, the next 15 minutes, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., segment three, the ladder match continued, as well as the post- Boy, did it! As well as the it post- It went on and on and on. As well as the post-match angle with Wardlow, and then Orange Cassidy and Danhausen's <laughs> backstage promo, 894,000 viewers. Oh, so the 2,000 people wandered in by accident. I have to think if you started that ladder match, you may stick with it just to see if anyone was going to die. I thought Action Andretti broke his leg or was about to break his leg at one point. But let's well, go. yeah, well, whoever was giving him that thing also, well, who was it, Sammy? Just lost. Yeah, yeah they just so. went down on the, they dropped onto the lower ladder and then fell in a heap. Well, speaking of dropping and falling in a heap, segment four. Chris Jericho, uh, excuse me, 8.45 to 9 p.m. Chris Jericho versus Peter Avalon, as well as the post-match angle with Ricky Starks and the Jericho Appreciators. The Hangman Page backstage promo, the Christian Cage live promo, and the Jungle Boy Jack Perry video. Boy. 836,000 viewers. Ouch. Okay, that I can't do math this large in my head. 50... 8,000 more people decided to go wash their hair. This show is a perfect example of how to run people off. Segment 5, 9 to 9.15 p.m., the 9 o'clock hour, Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker's backstage promo, Hook versus Matt Hardy, <clears throat> the House of Black's backstage promo, as well as the beginning of Riho versus Tony Storm, 803,000 viewers. Another 33,000. Another one bites the dust. No bump for the 9 o'clock hour. No bump at all. Nothing. No. <laughs> well, there was a bump, all right. They hit a bump in the road and some shit fell off the truck. Every week there's a bump at 9 o'clock. Nothing here this week for this. But 9.15 to 9.30 p.m., segment six, the continuation of Riho versus Tony Storm with picture and picture. 
as well as the post-match angle with Hater, Baker, Soraya, and Soho. The Keith Lee and Dustin Rhodes backstage promo. (laughs) And the beginning of the Casino Tag Team Battle Royal. What a show this is. Jesus. 776,000 viewers. Oh, there goes another uh, 27,000. And we are down now from the start. Let's see, 124, 172,000 from the start of this program have bailed out and decided they'd take their chances with the Sharks. Segment 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., a continuation of the Tag Team Battle Royal with picture-in-picture, 781,000 viewers. Ooh, well, that, were they coming back thinking there was going to be a main event? Maybe they were coming back thinking this has to be over by now. <laughs> so they got 5,000 back. And finally, segment 8, 9.45 to 10 p.m., the last four minutes of the Battle Royal. That went through three segments. Yeah. The post-match with the Acclaimed and Jarrett and Lethal. And finally, the MJF Brian Danielson video and confrontation. 736,000 viewers. For the only thing on this program that means money on that pay-per-view. Buried at the end of this program, after nothing but stuff that if you wrote it on paper, you would have to see that it would only hold your most hardcore fan. It's a bad show. And and they had had to wait till... Five minutes till yeah. to see that segment that you were just talking about. I said earlier that, you know, MJF has done too much in this feud with Danielson. And I think part of it is he has to overcompensate for Danielson just not being the right guy for him. I also think he has to overcompensate for the booking. Since he's been champion, look at what these shows have been up and down. It's terrible. I can't do this math, but maybe you can. They started, they finished with 212,000 fewer people than they started. And since they started with 948,000, that's somewhere around 20% or more, right? It's more than 20%. It's 22 or 23. They lost 23% of the audience or something like that over the course of this fiasco. You are pretty good at math. I will trust your, uh, I'm just, I was just eyeballing it. And it, it, either you eyeball it or free ball it, one or the other. You can get close enough. But all right. <sighs> hey, just so you know, because uh, there's a couple other things here that Brendan Thurston did say. Compared to the last week, Dynamite was down 19% in total viewership. Among viewers 18 to 49, it was down 22% from last week. NBA games were back on ESPN, unlike last week when there was an all-star break. So there's some information in terms of the difference between last week and this week. I I fail to think that there's that many NBA fans, 200,000, well, from last week, 270-something thousand of them that suddenly, oh, I got to go watch this game again. I'll never watch that wrestling program I watched last week again. Something else is going, again, the the... The shows are coming home to roost. Well, here's the other thing. If you know you have a week unopposed by the NBA because of the All-Star break, if you know there's a chance you'll get whatever the amount is, 10%, 100,000 people, whatever it is, you get people that potentially will be watching your show that don't traditionally, that's the show you make your selling 
point. <laughs> That's the show that you really get people interested in the product and the wrestlers, and they want to come back and see. I have to see what's going to happen next week. There well, was nothing yeah. on last week's show. No, that you know what? You. Yeah, there you go. I think that Tony thinks he did that last week. And that's why we got pockets this week in two, three parts of six different segments. Or at least five of the Battle Royal, the fucking two-segment match, and the fucking promo in the back. He thinks pockets drew him a house. It drives me crazy how many people know better, how many people will say it privately, but how many people won't publicly say Tony is not a good booker. And he really wants to do it. And he's made money with AEW. AEW has made money, whether it's a profit or not is another story, but AEW's made money. It's been a successful operation, but booking is not his thing. And everyone knows it. And there's a lot of people afraid to say it. People there are afraid to say it. I can understand that. But there's a lot of other people that just don't want to hurt his feelings. It's not about his feelings. It's business. It's the truth. He's not good at this. <laughs> But there are people still pretending. Like, Can oh. you imagine if so, all the rotten actors and actresses that have gotten into movie business over the years, if somebody, well, they're the shits, but put them in that movie. We don't want to hurt their feelings. No, if this was the case, it would be the worst uh. actor ever financing his own movie that he would be the director of and the executive producer of and the key grip and the best boy. Help me, he'll do all the roles. <laughs> hey, now don't beflog the image of the best boy. That's a tough job and thankless. I remember years ago in the Shimonaki Post, they had a, I forget what, I forget now what it was. It was some kind of fake movie ad making fun of WCW, but I think by the end of it, it had like the different cast members in there. Things that said, Key Grips and Best Boys, Pat Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that might be a segue. For before we go into the WWE portion of the program and recap their week in television to hear exactly what's going on in the wrestling news and the associated Arcadian Vanguard productions. Another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes will be quick today because we still have a lot more show and a lot more wrestling this weekend. The Wrestling News! Find out everything that happens this weekend and every single day, every single morning, for free. Free daily wrestling newscast, direct and to the point, no opinion, no conjecture, right to you. Check it out today. Subscribe directly from thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! A little subdued today. We have some house guests once again. Go through the archive, 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. A lot of people asking about opening day Star Wars. Stay tuned. The 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership. Yeah, subdue that thing, fella there. I, you blew my ears out for a second. You sounded like you were farther away for a minute. All right, we'll back over the across the street in... uh in La La Land, where nothing really ever goes on, I, you know, I, we didn't even talk about the Raw this past Monday, February 27th. We didn't talk about it on the drive-through we did because there really nothing went on and we had a packed show as it was. But just bringing some people up to date and then we'll get to SmackDown, where also almost nothing went on. 
you see a pattern develops here. And as I said, this is why it's some of that this audience for AEW has been created because it may be unprofessional, but at least something happens. We're over here. Everything's as professional as fuck. Very little fucking happens. And they they started the program Raw last Monday with Jimmy Uso and Solo coming out and doing a live interview. But And I understand, you know, Roman doesn't make every show, and Jay is, obviously that's part of the story. Where is he? He's in his own, he's, he's thinking in his fortress of solitude or whatever. And Heyman doesn't come out if Roman doesn't come out. But with just the two of these guys, it it's the bloodline story, but it doesn't get the reaction of the entrance of the group, obviously. But their story was that family fights, but if you come for one of us, you come for all of us, and Owens couldn't do it, and Sammy couldn't do it, and Cody's not going to do it, and we run raw, right? And they let them get that out, and then here comes the Street Profits. And I don't know, it, it, it may have cut him off, or may have cut uh, Jimmy Uso off because it was dragging a little bit, and they may have just said, play the fucking music, because it wasn't... It wasn't a big, exciting, normal Monday Night Raw promo open, and it didn't last at least 20 minutes. But, Brian, help me. Do the Street Profits do the same thing as the New Day? Do the New Day the same thing as the every other babyface tag team that they put together in the WWE has to come out dancing and joking or making funny faces or pointing and laughing and slapping their knee at the heel and just making it a goddamn, you know, Josh fest instead of there. Nobody's mad. Nobody. They're making cute little remarks. There's no challenge for any fucking reason. I want to get even with you. or I want your this or that or what it just when it's time to play the music out. The babyface team comes joking and they have a match. Am I just in Groundhog Day or are you seeing the same thing too? I mean, WWE always has babyface tag teams that act silly. They think that's the way babyface tag teams should behave and connect with fans. As far as who this was, I've actually been getting into Solo in his role. I think he's been really good in his role. Looks like he's, I don't know, put on some weights the right word, but he looks, I mean, I buy him as the badass of the yeah, family. Yeah. I, I've actually thought he's done good. But when him and Jimmy are out there, it's, and then they're working with the Street Profits, it's like the difference between seeing the Rolling Stones and seeing, the expensive winos uh, open for <laughs> Ario Speedwagon or something. I mean, it's a it's a different thing. It's like you get ha- you get the the other members of the bloodline and you respect that they're there. But do you want to see Mick play or do you want to see Bill Wyman and his blues bland blues bland blues band is blue? I Bobby yeah. Blues Bland. That's where I got it from, of course. There you go. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway. Uh, Basically, not to Uso, say that the blues bland, blues bland. I did it again. Not to say they wouldn't sound great and be it would be a good show. What about Manfred Mann and his blues band? He has nothing to do with the Rolling Stones. Well, but he had a blues band. He had a Manfred Mann. He was blinded by the light, ripped off like a deuce. Another runner in the night. All right. So Uso and Solo win the contest here, and then go to decapitate old Montez Ford with a chair around his neck and the ass in the face deal in the corner. And Owens hits the ring and makes a big comeback on him and then bails out before they can harm him. And we were 30 minutes into the program by the time that what we've just described there was over with. It moves at a glacial pace because this is three hours they got to... And 
And the commercial breaks kill any pro. Anytime you get into anything, the commercial breaks. And I know you need commercials, but the way they do it kills you. Well, but there's commercial breaks in the program before they go to commercial break and after they come back from commercial break with all the other hoo-ha they stick in there. This has been Kevin Dunn's dream. Kevin Dunn always loved the spots and the factoids like the WWF has given more hand jobs than anyone in history. And he loves to take up the program with all of that shit. And Vince McMahon has paid for half of them so far. And yes, $22 million. He um, promises so- to pay the rest back. <laughs> I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a paralegal today. <laughs> so in the MVP lounge, which now we've talked about talk, we're here, here's a talk show within the talking. But this, they've got the ring set up for the MVP lounge, but Brock comes out first. Cowboy, Hillbilly Brock, Klondike Brock. Babyface Brock. Babyface, big time babyface. And you can <laughs> tell crazy that like he, he enjoys being a complete smartass and having people cheer him for it because he hates those people too. And he's thinking, this is fucking great. I'm fucking with everybody. He just doesn't like people. It's not that he doesn't like the wrestling fans. I mean, the people that know him describe him as, miserable but anyway he comes out and and uh, like i said he's when he came back he was like cowboy brock and then he went to you know klondike brock i think now he's almost one of the scuffling hillbillies he's got fucking moonshine in his pocket but he enters mvp's set and sits down in the chair and then waits on mvp who has challenged brock to face almost at WrestleMania, and we'll talk about what prompted this match here after we talk about this interview. But so Brock, MVP's coming out. He don't want to get in the ring with Brock. He thinks Brock's going to beat him up. But Brock, no, you're you're fine. It's all about business. I got no beef with you. And it dragged a little bit. But finally, Brock coaxes MVP into the ring and says, sell me this match. You know, hype man, big, you know. Manager has said, sell me why that I should fight almost. And MVP came in the ring on the promise of no suplexes. So I think one of the things is in years past, promos had more energy because time was a premium. You were on an hour program or even on a two hour program. Nobody was allowed to just talk for 10, 15 minutes. Lawler in Memphis, because it was open-ended and open-formatted, but he could do it and get away with it. All these talk shows, every Piper's Pit was two minutes. Yes. I I mean, people look back on the live interviews with the Horsemen, the live interviews that Heard used to want to cut because they were too long away from action on the TBS program. We would put down for five minutes with with all of the Horsemen or whatever. The Horsemen promos from TBS and Crockett syndicated TV that people remember usually were more like three minutes and they might get in a fight and go into the ring or whatever. But no, that was, I've talked about those open-ended promos on the two hour show in Dallas for world-class. It was boring as shit a lot of the time. And those things still didn't go 10 minutes with multiple talents in them. But nevertheless, now they've got three hours and the, the writers want to write material for the, Guys that to start out that has really no bearing on the money drawn aspect of it. They're doing their little mini plays and their interaction first. So you got talk, 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 talk. Anyway, 
I think the longest live interview I ever had on Smoky Mountain Wrestling that I booked myself on was like six minutes and something, and people have put it, I think it may be the one that I had the nosebleed on when I was selling four different matches in four different cities over Thanksgiving weekend. Anyway, MVP starts giving him the big sales pitch and uh, about why they should fight and starts getting more confident as he's getting into it. And I enjoyed this part where he's really, and he's telling Brock to his face how the Nigerian giant can beat him. And finally, when he gets finished, he's got that, you know, he's all puffed up now. And Brock loved it. And he accepted the challenge and he high-fived him. And they, he said, let's celebrate with a handshake and a drink. And MVP goes to pop the champagne. And Brock says, no. And he pulls the flask of moonshine out of his jacket, not jacket, but ripped up blue jean vest farm outfit inside pocket. And he takes a big swig and gives it to MVP, who warily takes a big swig of it. And as it settles in on him, he did a great job of spit. He spit all over fucking Brock's face. Just bah! He's puke. And who pitched that to him? And then you're going to spit this in Brock's face? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> probably, I, you know, actually, probably Brock. Be honest with you. Probably Brock. Um, and then Brock fucking turns fucking green and picks him up and F5s him. But so that was, it was a good job. Not a by, suplex. Not a suplex. So he is a man of his word, not a suplex. So it was a, it was a good segment. Took a little while to get there. Almost didn't appear. That was a good thing because the way MVP described it, you might want to see the match. But the problem is we've seen almost. And I don't think they can Zulu him again into, you know, stealing this thing, but the alternative from what we now understand, Brian, from sources within the industry, is that a good way to term it? Sources within the industry? Paul Levesque, yes. Well, <laughs> when, when Bray Wyatt came out a couple of weeks ago and did the deal where he somehow challenged in whatever screwy way that was that week, the winner of... Brock Lesnar or Bobby Lashley, so whoever wins, the lights go out, run. Well, now we understand. <laughs> That's why Lesnar hit him in the balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we understand where that fucking finish came out of nowhere. Because Brock said, fuck you, my lights ain't going out because I pay my bill and I'm running as far away from a match with you as possible. And Ixnade as they say, the uh, the idea of him working with Bray Wyatt. So it fell to Bobby Lashley, who is not as, not as independent and more of a team player, who is now apparently going to have to go down that road. Brock said, fuck you, I ain't doing that shit. We talk about it. There's no way to work with Bray Wyatt and not get killed. There's no way to come out of that and look better on the other side. And Brock Lesnar, whatever you want to say about him, He's been pretty smart in how he's handled his career. <laughs> he saw that and said, you know what? That sounds awful. I'd rather wrestle almost. <laughs> and that's the match he's going to have instead. Amazing. <sighs> and some people were saying that Brock was going around shaking people's hands just in case he didn't see him in the future for a while. Sorry you have to work with Bray. I'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I ain't doing this shit. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to poor Bobby in a minute. And then you told me to watch this, and I must admit that I probably would have anyway because Cody was involved. But Cody wrestled shoosh boy Chad Gable, and you pointed something out to me that now I understand, and actually I, I agree with your assessment, that in all probability, Cody asked to work with shoosh boy. Not obviously because of his gimmick, but because of how good an athlete and a worker he is at, at doing things when in a previous life before they ruined him and made him a complete joke and ruined his entire wrestling career. Uh, and literally picked him up and threw his career off a fucking bridge into a dry creek bed. But they had a, again, this was one of the more lively matches that I've seen on Raw in some time, and it still didn't. You know, it didn't go a half an hour. They still got a minute and a half to the break and then come back and do some shit on the other side. They get a little time. But again, they wrestled and they worked and the match made sense. And it had some different things in it than everybody we're used to in the WWE have been doing. And Cody could do all of his stuff here and look good and not have somebody fuck it up. I, you know, there's a number of people on the roster that he could have been booked with that wouldn't have been able to take some of these things and, and produce or keep up or whatever. Cody gave him enough to keep it interesting, but still he's established as a main event guy. And he gave him one, especially, well, a good two move combination where he hits some kind of big over the shoulder into the flipping DDT and then a moonsault and got a two count. And then Cody slowly started firing back up and brought the energy up and they went into their finish where it was a little dusty business. He hip tosses Gable over the top rope onto Otis, the, you know, fat Otis. He's fat at ringside. What's your problem? That's Scott Steiner. Remember? He's fat. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. He's fat. <laughs> the only person more offensive than you is the person you quoted there. Okay. Steiner, he's fat. Uh, but anyway, hip tosses him over onto, he's fat. And then he hits a dive <laughs> on Gable. And then he did the funny spot. This guy can see Dusty where Otis is still looking for the fucking model woman that manages the male models. And so he thinks that it's his boy Gable behind him, but actually, or beside of him, actually it's Cody walks up, puts his arm around him. And he turns around and says, what are you doing here? And then he throws him over the barricade into the front row and then he jumps in and hits a great cody cutter on fucking gable and hits crossroads one two three so again we've established cody goes out there and has exactly the match he needs to have with the finish he needs to hit and just appropriate length it kept it exciting the other guys are going through the same because they've been there so long. They're going through the same habits. They're going through the motions. Cody puts a little more oomph in his matches because he thinks about him. And he has not been thinking in that environment. And then he does a brief promo saying, I've not been face to face with my opponent at WrestleMania, Roman Reigns. And I understand he's going to be at SmackDown Friday. Well, I'll be there too. So they set up, they're going to be face-to-face for the first time. And that, again, what do you think? Exactly what it needed to be, right? Good match, hot crowd. The crowd is really into Cody. And 
you know, we'll save more of our Cody thoughts, well, at least I will for uh, a little bit later, but I think this is the one thing they're doing uh, everything right so far with Cody Rhodes. And it's a good match and shows you what Gable could have been as a heel without a silly gimmick. Yeah. Because he was a babyface in American Alpha. Very talented in-ring guy, especially with the right guy in there like Cody was here for this match. But look at how they've used it. As soon as you hear that shush auto-tune for the entrance music, yeah, you cringe. Over. You cringe. Speaking of cringing, um, they go to the back there with Baron Von Corbin and start to interview him, and he speaks for a couple of seconds, and then, hey, wait a minute, something important is happening, and they just, they're just wiping their fucking feet on this guy's face. And they go and talk to Owens, and he's responding to what he did earlier. He wants to see the bloodline fall, and he doesn't need any help. He's going to be the lone wolf. He and Sammy still haven't reconciled yet, and he and Cody aren't apparently going over to fucking White Castle together. So, again, all of the baby faces for their own motivations eventually, somehow, probably will come together. And the judgment it's like Game Day. of Thrones. They're booking yeah, it like well, Game of there Thrones. You go. Yeah. And uh, is, oh, are they starting a chainsaw behind me? If you hear any roars, that better, may be happening. You better run. No, no, I've called. I've seen those letters. I've called the chainsaw people. Oh, okay. Uh, Corky the lumberjack has already been over uh, at this point to look at the thing. But nevertheless... It's like the bloodline uh, over there, all these different factions, Corky and the Munros, and they're all getting together now as good guys independently to come after you. Well, you know, actually, there's going to be probably a jurisdictional or a, a boundary dispute over between my contractor and my yard guy and the lumberjack that does the trees, and then I've got the fertilization people. As far as whose jurisdiction this work is, there's a little bit for everybody. The Judgment Day was in the back with ex-condom, and it was just, it was comments on their stories with B-roll from each one of them. Maria's great. Dom's a little snotty heat getter and Finn's still mad at edge. And then this show somewhat fell off cliff in, in my opinion. Uh, at this point, they had the Otis and the male models and the model woman were in the back doing stuff. And then they had Oscar against Carmella. And after Oscar and Carmella, Bianca skipped out and cut a promo on Oscar, and Carmella ran Oscar into Bianca, which is the old thing to make the, the baby faces mad at each other when one gets hit from behind by the baby face who was knocked into him by the heel, but he didn't know that the heel did it. But Bianca saw the heel do it and yelled at her, so I don't know what the fuck they were doing there. And then they gave us Piper Dewdrop against Candy LaRue. And then, I swear to God, the Judgment Day confronted Johnny Sameface in the back, and they made fun of him. And then they came to Ms. T. And this is this is over a period of a long time. It's not like this is just moving this quickly either. And that Ms. TV again, and he reveals that he will host WrestleMania. He will be the host of WrestleMania for what? Why? Why does WrestleMania need a host? It's is does Dana White come out in a fucking tuxedo and say, "Welcome to the UFC." What? Yeah, and then Miz is in the ring and here comes Seth and they talk forever because I think the writers love to talk to write for 
Seth and Miz because they love to talk the writer's writing. And you know more than I do about how to... Hold on here. Let me get to it. Seth has been trying to get a hold of Logan Paul because now even though he's the Joker from Batman and fucking talks weird and laughs and cackles and dances, now he's a baby face. And Miz is a heel and will not call Logan Paul on his phone for Seth Rollins. So Seth super kicks him and gets his fucking phone. And then goes over and takes a selfie or whatever of Miz there knocked out on the on the mat and then sits down and within 20, what, 15 or 20 seconds, he's found Logan Paul's number and called him. Can you just grab somebody else's phone, smartphone, and find a, a person's number in like 20 seconds? Is it that easy? Because I don't know how to do it at all. Well, I mean, if his phone wasn't locked and somehow Rollins could access the data, if he went to the contacts and he went to the letter L or the, the phone P, locks, you can lock the phone. Yeah. Most people, as soon as you turn off the phone, it locks. So you need a passcode or you need your eyes or your fingertip or whatever mechanism you use to get into what, your phone. Your eyes or your fingertip. Well, yeah, I see it. And here's my, well, it scans to punch the button. It'll recognize your face and open the phone. What? You didn't know this. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You can hold it. I've seen like in the James Bond movie where you the, they take the fucking guy's eyeball out and hold it up no. next to the goddamn vault and it unlocks. No. What it, the fuck are you talking about? If you have an iPhone, you may have one that you could just hold up in front of your face. It'll recognize you and open up right away. It'll unlock. Well, how do I know it's that smart? How do I know it won't just say, hey, you look like Jim. Come on in. Take all of his shit. Well, someone would have to look somewhat like you and also have access to your phone to pull off that scam. Well, the thing is, or a mask okay, or some kind somebody, of mask. Let's say that I ever got a smartphone, which I won't. Then somebody would hire somebody to follow me around that looked like me. And when I would drop my phone or leave it somewhere, then that lookalike would pick it up and take a picture of his face and unlock my and take over my identity. Why would you leave it somewhere? And I don't think you would drop it. Well, it's an accident. It's a. It's a. Put it a, in your pocket. I was a victim of circumstance. Are you wearing a well, blazer? Well, then if I put it in my pocket, then it's either going to fall out of my fucking pocket or I'm going to sit on it and break the fucking thing like all these other people do. But let me ask you: Is that not a pain in the ass that every time you go to? Make a phone call or whatever. Your your phone is locked and you have to fucking stare at it first or stick your finger into it to Not into make it, it work. Sometimes certain phones will identify your fingertip, your uh, fingerprint, I guess I should say, and it'll unlock the phone at that point and you can go in there and access your data. So that, well, what, what if, so that what a if, criminal couldn't get into it unless they cut off your finger and took it with them and used it to get into the phone. Well, now, okay, now... You've just told some fucking criminal the way to fucking impersonate oh, me is to cut one of my oh. fucking fingers off. Yeah, I invented so now, that idea. So now not only is somebody going to fucking mug me and take my phone, they're going to cut one of my fucking fingers. Do I get to choose which finger? Can I like, can I like make it here, here, Actually, recognize the pinky? Yes, you can pick which finger I think you want to use. All right, pinky finger on my left hand. If I've got to lose one, I guess that'd be the one to lose. Why don't you throw everyone off? Use one of your toes. Well, then I'd not be able to reach. I've got a bad back. I'd not be able to reach down and hold the phone up under my feet. And then if it's the one with gout, that could change the whole fucking. If 
I could get gout again and lose my empire. To go back to your question, and if you have any more questions about smartphones, please, this is the time. This is the place. But I got if, a lot of questions. For if you, Seth never- Rollins somehow accessed the unlocked phone and then was able to quickly go to contacts and scan down to either L for Logan or P for Paul or whatever nickname that he may have Logan Paul in his phone listed as, then he would possibly be able to do it that quickly. Okay, but then when he calls the guy on the phone, he answers his his own video on Skype or FaceTime or whatever the fuck. Well, in general, too many people use FaceTime for inappropriate shit. I hate when you see people walking around talking to someone. You're at the store. Put the phone down. What I'm saying to you is, could that what they did happen that quickly now with the smartphone, where you just take somebody else's phone and within 15 or 20 seconds, you fucking found their number, you call them, and they pop up, and they're on video right there on live network television? It was rather smooth and quick, but in a sense, elements of this could happen maybe just not as smoothly. Well, and anyway, Logan Paul was ready. And he, he was right there. He answered the phone quickly. I said, Miz, stop calling me. But Miz, meanwhile, is still laying there in the ring unconscious, and they ain't shooting him because they're trying not to distract now from Seth and Logan Paul, which we want to see that match because we love Logan Paul. And that's what Rollins challenges to come challenges him to come to Raw next week. But again, Miz laid there for one super kick while this whole thing goes on. And then <laughs> as Seth is leaving... Miz rolls over and he fucking runs back and curb stomps him. So it's just, it's a rib at this point. Nobody's even trying to seriously make anybody believe they're mad at anybody or upset or whatever the fuck. Um, Any thoughts on Seth Franklin and his efforts to get a hold of Logan Paul? No, it'll be a good match. I really like Logan Paul. I hope he's on the TV show more. It'll be a really good match, but I'm sick of Franklin. All right, and then we'll we'll skip through damage control in the back. A solid hour of the girls and the Miz. I'm not sure there's any difference. And then Austin Theory was in the back, knocking John Cena, putting himself over, doing a good job, nothing earth-shaking, but he'll see Cena next week. And I have hopes, maybe if they have a nice in-ring face-to-face, that young Theory can uh, show us what he's got, because you know I think that will bring it out in him. What's the right thing for Mania? Who puts who over? Uh, I think Cena puts Theory over. I honestly do because it got again. He just John. They need John's star power, but they don't need to get him over anymore. He wrestled one match in the calendar year 2022, and it was what the highest rated or one of the highest rated SmackDowns of the year. In a, and in a six-man. So in a, a situation like this, he's not going to be any more over by beating Austin Theory. But at the same time, it's not like it's not like John at this point is the, oh, my God, this may be the last time we'll ever see him. And it would be a downer if he did do a job. Like, you don't want to see Austin come back and get beat or Tager come back and get beat. But John can still come back next year and fucking win something. So it, it's... I think it'd be fine for him to put fucking theory over. And I think it would help young Austin. But nevertheless, Lashley then is out for a match with Ezekiel, who's down to the point where he gets no entrance. He's just in the ring. 
And they still had to show the VTR of the Firefly Funhouse bullshit from the previous week that we didn't understand. And Lashley hurt-locked Ezekiel in about a minute. So nobody wants to walk with him anymore because he doesn't get far. But then Bobby gets the microphone. And I've said this is not his thing. Talking. It needs to be short and sweet and explosive when he's motivated instead of just out there by himself. That's why I think he felt more comfortable in the group because he could be the head honcho, but he had other people to speak for him. You can see it on his face. He it's, it's not his strong point, and he knows it. And also, I think there was an element, honestly, of dread or feeling of impending doom on his face that he has to work with this fucking guy. And he could already see he because he didn't have confidence in what he was saying. He just had to go. I don't play kids' games. Bray Wyatt, keep my name out of your mouth, or I'll hurt you. It wasn't like a full throated. I'm gonna get myself over here for a minute and a half type of thing. And then suddenly, you know, as he's trying to leave Lashley down the aisleway on the screen, there is Bray Wyatt and. This is so bad and so hokey and so silly. And it it does, it buries anybody that's the victim of this. There, Bray Wyatt dressed up as Lashley doing an exercise video and shaking his butt and the jazzy Richard Simmons kind of music and Mr. Muscle Man. And he's making fun of Lashley, who is already an easy target for people to make fun of him because he's had so many questionable fucking things done to him, happened to him here lately over the past several months. And it's just, it's, it hurts Bobby. It's all going to be silly. Even Bobby Lashley, a beast like that for this pudgy fat bearded fuck that shows us nothing ever. Bray Wyatt and never gets to a point. And he's going to sell nothing for the Lashley, this beast. But it was bad because it was silly. And then it got spooky and it got sillier. And the lights go out like always. <sighs> Do you agree with uh, Bobby? He was especially timid and within his shell here at this point. I don't even know what to say anymore about this. Who is this entertain? I mean. Entertaining isn't even the right word. Who is this for, this Bray Wyatt stuff? I I don't understand why someone would see this and say, I need to see more of it, especially if you've seen more of it already. And then you see an, even more of it. <laughs> He's terrible. He's the worst wrestler in WWE. And he barely wrestles. Every segment he is in is just garbage that doesn't belong on wrestling. This belongs in a modern horror film or maybe a horror series. And I, how does he pitch it? How do you how do you give a verbal or a written summation of pitch? Here's do they just let him take a camera and go just shoot this shit and edit it himself? How does he explain what he wants to anybody else? And and why would you give a guy carte blanche? Yeah, just go shoot and say whatever and put it together because we can't write this because we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'd, I, and I've been producing some form of television wrestling for 30 fucking years. And I don't know how longer, shit, longer than that. And I don't know how the fuck that you would even instruct an editor what the, what the fuck you want. 
out of this. You hand it in. He's doing it himself with his people, I think. And he hands them whatever. He's got he people? Everyone has people. Well, I got some people I'd like to get together with his people. They could have lunch. Anyway, in the you back. Thought, you thought things may be different with this guy when he came back. I, I, I apologize. I am suitably chastened. In the back, some girls were yelling at Adam Pierce and acting silly for whatever reason. And I wrote, God damn, this is fucking wrestling now. And then Otis, with the male models and model woman in his corner, wrestled Johnny Sameface. So that was a real rip snorter. And then Heyman was in the back. And he was asked about Cody being at SmackDown by another one of the female interviewers, whatever her name was. And Heyman again gives another great performance in a pre-tape. He just, he just everything he is does is gold, except for his hair, which is now jet black. Is he dying? His yes, his, his remaining yes. tresses. Because I thought I saw if didn't I just see it was either lighter brown or potentially graying around the edge of whatever is left back there on his cranium here not long ago. Why would you then start dying it after you've revealed that? And the horse left the barn? He wants to look young. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, folks, uh, you've got to put up with whatever I turn into or whatever happens to me. Because I'm going to do, I, I like to do just, you know, routine maintenance, but I'm not going to have a contractor come in and do any kind of upgrades or falsify the fucking extent of the issue. So whatever I look like is basically what I'm looking like from now on. Uh, and Paul quit speaking at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the bell rang for the next match, which was the main event, somewhere around a quarter to 11. <laughs> and it was for the women's tag team title. They hadn't had enough of the girls on the show. And it was Becky Lynch and Lita against Kai and Sky. And I already knew by the time I got to this point in the program what was happening. And it's Kai and Sky. And if I hadn't seen more women than a sorority house already, I might have watched this to see how Lita looked. But, nah. And they won the belts. How did Lita look? Did you see any of this? A little bit. I, you know, wasn't really into this match. I didn't think Lita looked the greatest. They did a interesting move they took trish stratus one of the biggest stars in the history of the women's division and just had her randomly show up to be the manager at ringside <laughs> okay to support she to be dropping by yeah i don't understand mm. why you would announce again someone you think may get a few people to tune in to see her who knows but it was uh fine for what it was new tag team champions well, there you go. You know what Dr. Tom Pritchard used to say, don't you? What's the difference between the circus and a sorority house? The circus is full of cunning stunts. And that was... Let's make sure we give credit where credit's due. That was Dr. Tom Pritchard, ladies and gentlemen. That was raw. <laughs> and then we move over to SmackDown. They put 15,000 people in Washington, D.C. for this broadcast. Which is amazing. Well, they said fifteen thousand. Well, it was. It had to be around twelve or thirteen, because it was full and it's a big building. Hey, if you were a WWE fan, and for whatever reason both shows were in your town, 
within a very short period of time and you could only pick one, which one would you go to, Raw or SmackDown? SmackDown. Because uh, at least, again, this fucking Raw, three hours and it goes on and on, at least SmackDown, you would have a bigger chance of seeing the bloodline and you'd get to the fucking meat of the matter quicker. But uh, that's like choosing a gas chamber or the electric chair at this point, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, but then again, as I mentioned on the open of, of Raw, when they just had Jimmy Uso and Solo, here it's the bloodline entrance. Roman, Heyman, Solo, Jimmy, only Jay was missing, and it's just huge that way. It has a whole different fucking look and feel, and the people are into it. Again, the girl ring announcer trying to gargle razor blades like Vince at WrestleMania fucking three. I just, I don't know. <laughs> they all do that now. I don't know why. I'm afraid she's going to give herself some kind of accidental hysterectomy doing that over and over every week. Yeah, well, see, you know, you've been doing that mothership thing for so long. They've told you, you can, ne- you can never have children now as a result of that. What do you I've had kids and I'm I mean you yourself you know Suzanne had the kids you didn't have any you fucking strained your ovaries with that whole fucking thing you've been doing well this is Smackdown we're talking about (laughs) all right well we're going back we're going to acknowledge Roman get that over with and then as soon as Roman says acknowledge me ah, Cody music hits and he gets a big pop. They pop for Roman because he's a star, but they pop for Cody because they see him as a star. And he comes out and they do the, whoa, and Cody, Cody. And Cody, you know, very eloquent and the mellifluous tones that just roll off his tongue. He tells Roman he's there to have a conversation man to man. There's no reason for the rest of your entourage unless you feel the need for them or whatever and so Roma there now they're playing mind games with each other Roman says tells Haman says wise man leave us <laughs> wise man leave us and you know what it would have been great to see Haman if he could have been a 60s character actor on F Troop as as one of the fucking F Troop as one of the Hakawi Indians like the the medicine man for the Hakawis that would have been classic and the feathers well, nevertheless, anyway, so Cody's there and boom, face to face. And Roman says, wise man, leave us. And Paul says, I'll leave. So nope, Solo goes too. And that was a perfect way to get because now there was no need for them to gang jump Cody. They do it all the time. This already has interest. They're doing it differently. So that's a reason to get them out of the way. And then they start fucking with each other mentally. Roman lays the belts in front of Cody. So what do you want to talk about? And Cody puts Roman Reigns over, but hey, climbing mountains is my thing. Said I wouldn't get over Stardust. They said they said 10,000 people wouldn't come to see me and my little buddy's indie show, which was very fucking uh, an interesting line. It may not have gotten over in a previous administration. But the point he made is that Roman Reigns, beating Roman Reigns, not impossible for him. And Cody was getting chance again. You know, the people are into that. And then Roman was off the charts here, just with the naturalness and the inflation. You believe this. You know, he he mocks Cody. He said, well, you, you ever, 
you ever won that belt? You ever even competed for one of these? You ever main evented WrestleMania? I, I done did all of that. And I've been groomed by my father and your father too. He did the Dusty impression. They put Dusty over and how close they were. And then he said, you know what Dusty always said about you? Nothing like you did not exist. I know you miss him. I miss him too. If there's anything he didn't teach you, I will. What a fucking promo. And the zingers from, from both of them were getting ooze from the people. Because they were listening to what was being said back and forth. How long has it been since you heard the old ooh from a zinger from a heel or baby face? You know, they might pop if they hear the word shit. I'll kick that shit out of here. I'll shove this up your ass. Whoa, but but when you say, and your mother, I, you know, fucking filleted her or whatever. Ooh. So anyway, then, and Roman offers the handshake after he's just decimated Cody and, you know, emasculated him. And then Cody, he started beating around the bush to where the people, I don't think, actually knew where he was going. I wasn't sure. But then he balled it up and finished well with, if all the things that you have said, Roman, are true, then that means it is a necessity that I beat you at WrestleMania. For all those reasons, blah, 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 blah. And may the best man win and grabs and shakes the hand that now Roman is like, ah. And that was a nice piece of business. What do you think? I thought this was excellent. Can't really say too much bad about it. I'll say one really good thing. You know, a lot of the times in AEW, Cody came across as utterly pretentious on the mic. We we said that. And he admitted that he would go and, what was the word that, um... Workshop. Well, workshop. Yes. His promos. Not saying he's not doing that now, but it's very interesting that a lot of the ways he says things and a lot of the specific wording, things that did not seem natural to him in AEW, it's working a lot better here in this program, on these shows, and the fans are reacting to it in a way that they did not in AEW after the first few months. It's a different presentation, and as I said earlier, you know, a lot of this is talking and acting, and they want the guys to be actors. Well, Cody's a a pretty decent actor as a wrestler, or for a wrestler. And over in the other company, there were a few good talkers and a few good wrestlers, but there weren't a lot of decent actors. So there was nobody for him to do this. And when you've got somebody doing something that nobody else is doing in a style that nobody else is doing it on that program, it kind of comes off as odd. But this is his his wheelhouse, as they say, in the Merchant Marine or wherever. Uh, Rhea Ripley beat Liv Morgan. Hopefully the Liv, the Liv Morgan being invincible is over. And then they continued the bloodline deal and there'll be an ultimatum here at the end, but they continued the bloodline issue through the show where basically Jimmy is telling Roman, Hey, Jay just need, he needs some more time. And he only, only needs time. He needs time. I'm running out of patience, not with Jay, <laughs> with you. You know, go bring him back in the fucking fold. And then I was going to 
I was going to try to give this as much of a chance as possible. Did you watch the Dominic Mysterio with Mommy versus Pablo Escobar match? A little bit, not much. Just because well, I wanted to actually just the time crunch lately. That's all. Well, I wanted to see how Dominic was doing. And honestly, and also Escobar, who was a heel, the uh, leader of the Legados, Fantasma, blah, 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 the Lucha suits, right? Well, now he's kind of taken up for Rey Mysterio because he's got such a delinquent son. And he's saying that, hey, I can teach Dominic some fucking respect. And Escobar comes out with Ray's mask and, you know, displaying it proudly and et cetera. And Dominic is getting better. He looks more like somebody now with the long, you know, stringy hair and the the shit he's wearing now because he ain't got a great body. So I'm not saying reveal it, but he looks he looks better now. And mommy (laughs) makes the package. And this match, they still they get 90 seconds to the break. And when they come back. I don't know. Dom was going for a six one nine, but then he didn't do it. I think somebody was supposed to move or something was supposed to take place because then Escobar just took over and then it got awkward. And then Escobar made a comeback and a big double knockout. And I swear to God, this was the finish. Dominic pulls out of his boot, pulls out brass knucks right in front of the referee and the referee sees him. And argues with him and takes him off of his hand and and takes him over and throws him out to the timekeeper or whoever behind the referee's back while he's doing that. Ripley pulls hoo-ha out on the floor and gives him her finish on the floor and then throws him back in the ring. But somehow now, if the guy pulls out brass knuckles and the referee sees it, it's not a disqualification unless he uses them. You you can have them just hanging out in the ring, but you just can't use them. And they've made that rule now. So the distraction for the manager to do the damage to the baby face behind the referee's back was in any other goddamn company in any other world and time era in history an automatic disqualification. But now it's a referee distraction. So, and then Dominic hits Splash off the top, one, two, three. So it was a short match. Dominic looks better. Not I'm talking appearance-wise. Couldn't tell much by the work. It was a little awkward, and it had a rotten finish. That's what happened there. Ah, um, did you see the, the multiple-person fiasco interview segment? With Drew and Seamus and L.A. Knight. And- I saw this, and it stands out for one reason. This is the only thing I'm going to say about this, because the whole thing was terrible, with one exception. A guy who has been the highlight or one of the highlights of these shows, despite being in awful feuds <laughs> since the moment he arrived, had an awful gimmick. All of a sudden, he's getting himself over, despite all this stuff, working with Bray Wyatt. To me, the story of this whole thing... Uh, besides Kofi Kingston's uh, injury, which we find out after the fact, was L.A. Knight got a massive pop. And then it got shut right back down. Yep. But he got it. They'll fix that sooner or later. So Drew McIntyre goes to the ring. He wants a match at WrestleMania, and he challenges Gunther. And in music plays, but it's not Gunther, it's Seamus. And Seamus says, what are you doing? 
you know how much the Intercontinental title means to me. And they start yelling at each other, and there was a lot of accents here. And they may have enjoyed it across the pond, but for especially the southern and southeastern United States over here, it was a bit hard to keep up. But also, you know, they're they're because they've been reluctant friends, the Banger Brothers. It was going to be the Bang Brothers <laughs> until they Googled that. And the one says, do I have to ask your permission to wipe my ass too? And Seamus calls Drew a backstabbing bastard. And Drew says, well, you had your chance and you lost twice. So while they're arguing with each other, L.A. Knight's music plays and it gets a reaction. And here he comes with the microphone and his his catchphrases people are reacting to. And... (laughs) If I'd have, and he he actually even referenced it. I can't imagine that this was gone over this way in the in the run through of this segment, because if I was L.A. Knight, I would have said something about it, like he said something about it on the microphone. Did you see how Drew and Seamus buried him completely? Yeah, I saw. As he's coming out talking to both of them. They don't quit arguing with each other. They're not using the microphone, but they're not even looking at him, looking at the entranceway. He's nebulous. He doesn't exist. He's not anything to be concerned about or worry about. He even says, hey, you might not ought to, you might not have to look at me, but you ought to listen to me. And they don't even react. And he has to get in the ring to fucking people that have turned their back on him. When they didn't get a goddamn response like he got with their fucking little nattering back and forth. So if I, if I, in a previous generation, there'd have been some fucking fisticuffs in the locker room over this, unless they were told to do that just that way by somebody more important than they were. And I can't imagine why it would have been done. But then as he gets in the ring and they've already buried him and now, you know, people have reacted, but nothing else. Then the New Day music plays and here they come dancing with their fucking tromboners or whatever they're fucking carrying. It's ridiculous bullshit. And Drew and Seamus looked at them. Now everybody's looking at them much as you look at a goddamn train wreck when it happens right in front of you. And this is lost at this point. What the fuck? And I just, I started fast forwarding and I see Cross and Scarlet ended up coming out and they all got a fight and somehow Cross was supposed to end up the last man in the ring after, again, LA Knight is proven to be feckless in this aspect and everybody's been bumped to the floor, gone to the floor and then finally Cross hits Seamus from behind and grabs him and you know, scruff of the neck of the seat of the pants and shoves him into the ring post and he's going to take a bump to the floor. And as he goes through, hits the post, takes a bump to the floor, he landed with a, a basically a flying knee drop on Kofi Kingston, who was laying on the floor from having been previously shit-canned there. And of all of the places that Cross could have grabbed Seamus And all the four corners of the earth, he picked the one that there was people laying right underneath, and boom, and Seamus didn't see him until it was too late, and I guess now we hear Kofi's hurt, right? 
Apparently, Kofi's out at least five weeks, possibly more. Uh, I guess what happened was the way he landed, and then there was more landing on top of that. Well, I saw him holding his wrist or arm in some fashion, but because Drew was laying there, Kofi was laying there, and it looked like when I first saw it in full speed that Drew landed or Seamus landed more on Drew because he sold it too. But then it appears that the spin and the centrifugal force came down on Kofi. Apparently so. And Kofi will be now the second member of the new day to be out of action. <sighs> it's apparently it's, it, they're going to need a new, new day. It's a new, new day. Get John Sanu new day. Maybe this is a good thing to end the new day. Cause it's the old day. And we need something else at this point. How about another night? L.A. Knight and his and his partner, another. All right. All right. Earlier th- that day, the girls had gotten a fight in the back, and Shotzi, I think it was, they never actually said her name, I don't believe, but she hurt Rhonda's arm, and Shayna beat up Shotzi. So then Shayna came out with Rhonda in a sling and beat up Tegan Knox in like a minute and a half. And... Then, poor Bobby Lashley. I swear to God, they recapped Raw with the kids' games and the foolish video and the whole nine yards, and Lashley was in the ring. And he again, in a not very exciting way, tells Bray Wyatt, come see me face to face. Instead of all of this gaga. And a spooky video starts playing, and suddenly Captain Howdy, who is obviously not Bray Wyatt, right? Because Bray Wyatt's a lot fatter than this guy, right? Right. Right. So Captain Howdy attacks Lashley from behind and beats on him, and hits the runs and hits the ropes for no reason, <laughs> all the way across the ring. Leaves the guy he's on top of beaten up, who's not fighting back, so he can run twenty feet away from the guy and then run back toward him. That always makes a lot of sense. And Bobby catches him in a spine buster and then sets up for a spear and the lights go out. Brian, there's that fucking no good on the take shyster Benedict Arnold turncoat trader light guy again. Every wrestling company, how come they can't hire someone who knows how to do their lights or isn't evil with the lights? Well, no, it's, it's the thing is the pressure of the bribes is too much. Because the people, the, the wrestlers now know if you bribe the light guy, you run the company. So it's, it's a sought after position for the graft. But anyway, he's going to go for a spear on Captain Howdy and the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, Howdy's gone and Bobby's standing there going, what the fuck happened? And they just cut back to the bloodline locker room and the fans were just, huh? I, I, <sighs> So now Bobby looks pretty fucking silly. Uh, But in the Bloodline locker room, Jimmy now tells Roman that Jay said that he needs more time again. (laughs) Roman, he said that? And Jimmy says, no, actually, he said, leave him the hell alone. And the people popped. They're playing it to the arena. And Roman's pissed, and this didn't start happening until Sammy came around, so that's the problem. We got Sammy, so you go out there with Solo tonight and get rid of Sammy, and Jay will come home. 
And Jimmy runs out and to do that. And then Roman tells Heyman, says, hey, Jay's got one week. Or I'm not going to blame Sammy. I'm going to blame Jimmy. So there's some more intrigue. And then, and by the way, before our main event, we found out, Brian, I know you're excited about this. If you get the new WWE video game that apparently they come out every year on time and on schedule, you can now be Bugs Bunny. You mean Bad Bunny? Yeah, whatever. That's a big deal. How would, he's a major star. The idea that you have a major star in this game, you may get a few people that want to check it out. But why do I want to be, why do I want to be Bugs Bunny as a wrestler? Isn't that like if, if there was a baseball video game and I went and threw out a fir- first pitch at the Cincinnati Reds game, they would, then would anybody want to play as Jim Cornette in a baseball video game? Depends on what your moveset is. What about my move set is to strike out and drop the ball? Do you think you can make a throw to home plate from the pitcher's mound if you had the first pitch at a Cincinnati's Red game? Cincinnati Reds, excuse me, game. And no, I, I goddamn, I tried to throw out the first pitch at the goddamn, um, oh, what was that? We went to a minor league ball game here several years ago, did an appearance. Jim Ross was there up in, uh, in, uh, it's the outside Cincinnati. It's, it was the, Jesus Christ, what's the name of their team? It's right over there in Erlanger. The uh, the Erlanger Einsteins. I don't know, but anyway. It ain't that. We were all trying. I tried. I, th- I, I got. I didn't get it to the plate. I got it like somewhere to the left, I think it was, of the plate. Way left, like 10 or 12 feet. All right. Anyway, speaking of left of the plate. We got the main event, Solo versus Sammy. And the people were up into this. Jump start. It was hot. Sammy was cooking. The people love him. And then suddenly Uso distracts and Solo posts Sammy three times in a row. I'm not sure that the three times in a row was necessary. And then threw him over the fucking rail into the crowd and they go to the break. So even a main event that people want to see, a great, you know, Matt, whatever, two minutes to the break. But when they came back, they were getting the heat on Sammy. He got some, you know, fire-ups and hope spots. Soloed, hit the Samoan drop, and went for the ass-to-face. And Sammy got another comeback and a two-count and another one. And Uso was freaking out at that point. And then as as they're cooking, Sammy goes for the kick, and Jimmy jumps up and pulls Solo out of the corner. So... Sammy misses the kick and gets hung up and flummoxed in the ropes and turns around and solo hit the Samoan spike one, two, three. And so again, you know, their TV finishes are not exactly the goddamn most intricate pieces of Eddie Graham style craftsmanship ever. They just kind of get out of it, but the heels went for some more heat, got the chair, did the trash talking, put the chair on the neck and Solo's going to go for the ass in the face, but Jimmy wants to give the ass in the face. But as Jimmy is arguing with Solo about he wanted to give the ass to face, Sammy is recovered and throws the chair at Solo and beans him with it and hits Uso with the fucking kick and then bailed out on the floor before they could get a hold of him. And Roman Reigns is not happy or sleepy or dumpy or Doc or any of the other fucking... Various dwarves. 
And that was SmackDown. Surprised by the finish. Didn't expect Sammy to lose the solo here. Well, it, it didn't hurt him a bit. It didn't, but, but I'm still surprised by it. I would have liked it to have been a little bit more creative than, you know, but that's the thing. They've, they, on Raw, they'll give you a 30 minute opening match just because they've got to kill three hours and they need to start somewhere. On SmackDown, if you get a match as a main event instead of an interview, it's still kind of short to the point and they'll do a get out of it finish rather than something that really takes you on the fucking ride. But that's what the, that's the ride we took. Brian last, I'll have you know. It certainly is. How long have we been on this ride? I could have got from here to fucking Atlanta by now. It's been a while, and of course, the while does not end now because we have AEW Revolution, we have a drive-through, we have more shows to review, we have A&E Biography and Rivals and Tony Khan's Press Scrum. Oh, are we going to scrum again? Is that what you would say? I hate to go scrumming. Do you use it as a verb, you think? Yeah, I think at this point it's going scrumming. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just here going scrumming. Tony's scrumming again. Like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to be doing. Again, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff over the next seven days, folks. So uh, stick Any with Any updates us. on Reggie the Cat? We'll oh, come know. on now. I apologize. for it. it, it, it it's, I was hoping to go to the well of emails from our fine listeners to bring the mood up. And the first thing I see is a cat that's been diagnosed with lymphoma. And I just, I had that reaction. I apologize profusely. And to Reggie's parent as well. But anyway. We remember Reggie's name. We don't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) Reggie's going to live on forever now because of what happened. Because of Reggie. The official cat of the cult of Cornette, Reggie. He'll he'll have that title from now on. And Harley will welcome him with open arms and paws. All right. We're going to pause for a little while. Go watch some more bad wrestling. Come back and talk to you within the next day or two about it. And until then, for Brian, I'm Jim. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.